welcome to this brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host Dave Kale, and uh, from Pasadena, I want to wish you Happy International Women's Day, which That's we right. totally planned our content around. Right, guys? <laughs> Absolutely, because we're so topical and like yep. dynamic and with it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but it is it is uh, International Women's Day, and and uh, whether intentional or you catastrophically, <laughs> uh, a lot of our conversation today is going to be on a digression away from some of the the planned um, you know sort of storyline stuff we were going to do. We're going to be talking. Um, one of the topics today is going to be about women in Elven society, which is so so we're we yeah. are very topical and with it. Absolutely. Um, we're so with it. We didn't even have to. De- to intentionally do that, we just <laughs> right. subconsciously just like na- naturally, yeah, exactly. The relevance just rather, just bubbles up spontaneously. Yeah, or probably what we should say is that maybe our uh, listeners and our most active participants on our uh, discussion <laughs> in our forum are very topical with it, so. or perhaps more with it than we are. Yeah, that's also yes, a very absolutely. distinct possibility. Regardless, the end is the same. Uh, so I'm joined, as always, by Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and Trish Lambert, the Tolkien maven. And um, yeah, so so today's going to be an exciting topic in addition to, to um, talking a little bit about sort of um, pre- uh, uh, very, very um, prescient issues in uh, as portrayed in a fictional elven society. Uh, we're also going to talk about dragons and some other fun things. Um, but uh, first, I think probably you have an announcement, huh, Corey? Oh, do I have an announcement? I actually have a today. I have like a, n- a massive You're number. A I'm, wash gonna, in I'm a wash in announcements. I am, I have two <laughs> slides of announcements today. Is, that, Be- is panoply a good word? Panoply, for that? my full panoply of announcements. <laughs> <laughs> I have a plethora of announcements plethora. today. I like I'm it. Try- I'm tra- That's I'm what tra- Daffy Duck would say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying to. Um, I, 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 so I'm going to try not to spend too much time on the announcements because there's so much going on all of a sudden. Um, so first, a reminder about our moots, which are coming up. We've got three big moots that are happening. First, Sunshine Moot, which is happening now in under two weeks. That's almost true. Tomorrow, two weeks from tomorrow, it is. Um, uh, so uh, that's super exciting. There's still time to sign up and, and, and everything, so uh, please do uh, join us down in Orlando or near Orlando uh, uh, on March 23rd for Sunshine Moot. And then there's Nader Moot in Leiden in the Netherlands on April 13th. It's our Europe Moot this year. Uh, so I hope you can join us for that too. And then, of course, Myth Moot, uh, Myth Moot 6, uh, which with its theme of dragons this year. Uh, the end of June 27th through the 30th, our big annual four-day mega conference down in the Washington, D.C. area. And the call for papers is open through the end of this month, March 31st. So those are our big events that are coming up here in the next few months but we also have some other online events that are happening very much sooner such as one that's happening this very day as is this afternoon in like seven hours in fact exactly seven hours from this moment i will be broadcasting again uh with maggie park the new director of the Mythgard institute uh to talk about the second tolkien trailer the trailer for the new tolkien biopic that dropped um so we're going to be we'll we'll be examining the second trailer as we examine the first one a couple weeks back uh so that's going to be a lot of fun and then on Sunday, this coming weekend, Sunday, March 10th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, uh, Dave and Trish and I here are going to get together again, and we are going to um, 
talk about that map, right? So uh, the uh, Amazon Prime folks have been uh, steadily and cunningly teasing material through that interactive map that they've released. Uh, and so we've been kind of waiting for more stuff. To, we almost wanted to jump on that instantly as soon as the very first version came out. I'm kind of glad we waited because there's a lot more to talk about now. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to kind of talk about that map and what that map suggests and what we can uh, – what we think about it and what we can learn about it. Um, and uh, anyway, so that's um, that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to be really excited about that. There's even a chance that we might have some additional special guests joining us, which uh, you know, I can't confirm yet, but there's a chance of it. Fingers, crossed, fingers, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We'll see. And in, in any case, you'll get the three of us, and that is sufficiently you know, awesome. I can't help feeling that anybody who listened to Riddles in the Dark, they're going to have deja vu. Yeah. That's what this is going to be like. Exactly. It's going to be like, <laughs> now, it's not, uh, the one way in which my plan is for it not to be like, like Riddles in the Dark is that the episode shouldn't be three hours long, but we'll right. see. Right. Uh, and we're not going to ask questions at the end. And we're not going to so. ask questions at the end. Exactly. Didn't we use this? Didn't we used to say that in, during Rules in the Dark? Yeah. yeah, Dave, oh, he had to remind about, you. Oh, he said it about self-film. We said it about exploring yeah, Lord of the Rings. Exactly. You know. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. What can I do? Anyway, okay. And the third thing is starting today, we're doing a new Anytime Audit special at Signum University uh, on our Sci-Fi Part 1, our Science Fiction Survey uh, Part 1 class. So through the 22nd of May that – or March – 22nd of March. It is still March. It's not quite yet May yet. Um, we're doing so our the the anytime audit tuition for our science fiction part one course is uh, down to only $75. So that's uh, going on starting today. Now, that's the first page of announcements. The second page of announcements is next week. Next, I need a whole other page for next week. In fact, I needed most of a page just for next Thursday, uh, where we have three different events going on on Thursday next week. First, I'm going to be doing... A, I'm going to be driving down uh, to the uh, the Lotro offices, the Standing Stone offices, uh, to have another fun uh, uh, session with Chris Pearson and Michael Drought. The three of us are going to uh, get together and talk about Lotro and Tolkien and stuff, uh, uh, and that'll be broadcast on the Lotro stream uh, on Twitch, so twitch.tv slash Lotro stream at 11 a.m. on next Thursday. Then uh, we're having uh, Thesis Theater. One of our thesis students who has uh, finished is going to be presenting on his master's thesis work on C.S. Lewis's Discarded Image and his Space Trilogy. That's going to happen at 6 o'clock, and then the Mythgard Movie Club is going to be meeting at 8.30 on Thursday night to talk about Blade Runner 2049. They talked about the old Blade Runner movie a couple months ago or last month, recently, anyway, and they're going to talk about the new Blade Runner movie uh, on next Thursday. Uh, so that'll be really cool, too. And then... Next weekend, we're having a New York City moot up. So we're not doing a real moot. We're not doing a, we're not doing a full conference in New York. Um, but that's the weekend that there's the the Tolkien Symposium at the Morgan and the New York uh, Tolkien Conference is happening. Um, so a bunch of us are going to be down there. I'm going to be down there at both events uh, that weekend as well. Uh, so we're just going to have a just a just just a, a get together. Anybody is invited. Anyone who wants to come uh, and get together and hang out and uh, meet up with us, uh, you can. Um, you do need to RSVP for that so we can, like, because we're going to be at a restaurant, so we need to tell people, like, about how many people to expect. Uh, so do, do RSVP. And the information on that and all of these other things, further information, including registration links and all the stuff, is on the Mythgard and Signum events page. So go to signumuniversity.com 
org slash events and this is the page um, and uh, you can go down and see here's the today's trailer discussion and the map discussion and the thesis theater and the uh, Blade Runner uh, show and the moot up and here you can you just send a, an email to info at signumu.org in order to RSVP but that information is on the page here too as well as where we're going to be and then you've got Sunshine Moot Registration, Nader Moot, and Myth Moot Registration all there on the events page so you can find it yourself. Or again, if you just go to the signumuniversity.org website, uh, you'll find it in its normal place right here below the link to the science fiction class down all of our upcoming events in order. And those are my very numerous and exciting announcements for today. Whew, I'm tired now. Okay. Now, let us get back to discussing the bad guys because that's where we were. So our goals for so our, our goals for this session, and you'll notice that the first goal that has been set for us for this session is that this will be our final session on the overarching <laughs> storylines. I, I noticed, like medical. I noticed that 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 Marie very gently put the word "final" in all caps there, which I think is perfectly appropriate, and which we can <laughs> certainly do. Um, uh, so okay, um, uh, yeah, oh, David, did I mess up the date? I'm sorry. The web page is correct. The mood up is on the 17th. It's on the Sunday. I think I, I, I did put the 16th on my slide, didn't I? Sorry, that's my fault. Uh, see, look at this, and I do it myself. It's it all gets messed up. Corey, you have Definitely so few things the in your day you have to deal with. You think you could get the day? Right? No, seriously, I no, but <laughs> it's actually not that hard to type the correct date. I, you know, it's not too much to ask, I should say. But uh, whatever. Anyway, sorry, David. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, uh, it's it's on the um, yeah. Okay, <laughs> all right, David. Now I'm confused. Never mind. Okay, we're gonna um, we're gonna go with the web. The web page is almost certainly correct. If I'm if 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 we differ, the web page is almost certainly correct. And if I'm confused, who is surprised? Um, okay. But anyway, back to the our goals for the session. So three things. Well, okay. So we had two things to talk about, and they've now expanded to three things. Uh, the two things we were bringing over from last time are the creation of dragons. That was the, the, the we spent most of last time talking about the uh, uh, the 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 bad guy storyline, especially as related to the uh, uh, the the fall of man. And that was a really great discussion in which we made a lot of progress, I think, on a lot of unexpected things. Um, and that was very cool. But we didn't get to dragons. And we and there are some specifically there are some issues with Glaurung uh, that we need to sort out. So let's definitely um, uh, we're definitely going to work on that. And then, of course, we've been at the tail end of our list of things that we wanted to talk about in these overarching storyline sessions is Luthien, right? We don't want to just leave Luthien behind. We don't want Luthien to be a one-trick pony. Uh, we want to show that Luthien, is, Luthien has an obviously an important role. I mean, it's one of those things, um, the emphasis that is laid on how, like, the elves of Middle-earth have lost Luthien, right, uh, suggests that she's way important beyond her family circle, right? Um, she has to mean something, like to elvendom on Earth. Uh, and she can't do that if she's hiding away in, 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 in Menegroth the whole time and no one's ever met her, right? Other than her family and the other folks there at Menegroth. So we, you know, we need to think about some role for her to play without spoiling her role uh, in the, 
uh, in, of course, the actual uh, uh, Luthien and Baron, and Baron story. So that's the other thing that we need to think about. Now, and the anticipation of that has um, led us to... Um, uh, has led us to the question, well, it led us broadly, meaning uh, our discussion board folks, uh, to this bigger question about hewers and their role in elven society and thinking about the, uh, the roles of women in particular. And this is also a kind of, oh, perhaps referendum is too harsh a word and I don't want to, I don't want to sound too teasing or to make it uh, uh, sound like we're being taken to task. But, but I, I think it's a really important question uh, to open the question of how do we handle minor characters and what's going on with our minor characters uh, in the story. And in particular, of course, this has a big, given the nature of the Silmarillion and the published Silmarillion and how it works, that is to say, given the small number of uh, female characters. Now, you know, goodness knows, as all Tolkien fans know, whenever they hear, uh, you know, people say like, oh, there are no good female characters uh, in Tolkien or, you know, almost no good female characters in Tolkien, most, you know, Tolkien fans will all immediately say, oh, well, you have to read the Silmarillion, right? There's Luthien and there's Haleth and there's lots of really cool characters and there's Arathel and, uh, you know, sure, absolutely. Um, but it, by number, right, if you count noses, there are fewer, oh, he went away. fewer. He, there we go. Oh, there he is. oh, am I back? Sorry. Corey, I... Uh, we, you yeah. went away. I don't, we what was he saying, guys? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You, um, you might've lost me there for a while. Okay. Yeah, I apologize. It looks like my eyes, my internet was having a little problem. The good what, thing is uh, that people at home will almost certainly hear me. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Well, that's good. Okay. Um, They'll just have to deal with this bizarre interruption. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So what I was saying was when people complain about female characters in Tolkien – most Tolkien fans say, well, have you read the Silmarillion? Like, there are lots of awesome female characters in the Silmarillion, which is certainly true. Um, however, by number, there are way fewer female characters in the Silmarillion. And, the, you know, the vast majority of the Elvish family trees are male, right? Um, bunches of brothers and their sons and all that kinds of thing. Um, so now Tolkien did do, you know, uh, uh, you know, names for wives and sisters and things in uh, in, in uh, much of his later work, um, but they're not part. They're you know very. They're not much part of the published story. As a consequence, we have had a small tendency to kill them off with regularity over the course of some films so far. So, a reexamination of that policy and thinking that through a little bit more is definitely something that I think is totally worthwhile for us to do. So, um, uh, yep. Anyway, that's, um, that's, 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 that's what we're going to be. Th so we're, we're going to be thinking about that in the context of, uh, um, of, uh, uh, thinking about in, in, in this context as we're building up towards thinking about Luthien specifically. So that's what we're going to do. Um, yeah, Karita does point out the dead sister, wife, mother thing is kind of a trend. I know it is right. It's I mean, we'll get there. We'll work. Totally legit concern, and uh, you know we will uh, we will think about it. But let's think about dragons first. Okay, so the issue um, 
the issue is okay, so there I seem to me two primary questions about Glaurung. First, the question is to what extent do we want to show his development, right? Um, are we going to show the process for developing dragons? Is there going to be a process? You know, so you know, as as we have in our slide here, are, are we going to get failed attempts? Right? Is Glaurung going to be a comic montage of of many <laughs> failures? Yeah, um, yeah, uh, exactly. Um, no, I think um, I don't know. I think that it's it's. There are lots of ways that this could be done, and I think it could be really interesting. I mean, on the one hand, imagining uh, uh, one easily could imagine that, you know, Sauron and Morgoth came up with a bunch of projects that didn't pan out. Uh, you know, they don't have to be comical, right? They could just not work, right, particularly well. Um, I don't know. Uh, I would be a little bit tempted, I have to admit, uh, to have them try to develop an Air Force, because we uh, was you know was one of Morgoth's great failings was that he didn't have an air force. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, uh, having him develop something which then gets like demolished by the eagles and he has to go back to the drawing board is uh, uh, is a thing that I could or a navy, Marie, absolutely, um, um, or a navy. Uh, so. Thinking about you know him attempting to establish mastery of the air and of the sea and failing to do that, um, that I think is definitely a viable uh, a viable opportunity. Um, and Ellen, exactly. But it's important that we're far away from winged dragons because, of course, winged dragons are going to be ultimately the success or the greatest success anyway at the last minute that he's going to have on that one. Um, but uh, but there's no reason to think he's not thinking about that earlier on, right? Especially as he's watching the Eagles uh, around. So, yeah, Hakan, of course, is thinking of uh, the Watcher in the Water uh, and wondering if, uh, you know, that could be a descendant of an early experiment, um, which is interesting, right? Um uh, definitely an interesting question. So I'm open to it. I guess my thought is I can't imagine spending a lot of screen time on this without it seeming kind of a, like a weird aside, right? I don't see, it's hard for me to see how it's part of a story. Exactly. I mean, other than, I guess, if we can work it in in some kind of integrated way with the early stages of the season where, you know, the sun is out and the bad guys are still in a, uh, okay, what now? How do we move forward in the new situation kind of thing? Um, uh, but I think that we have a risk of making them look incompetent. And I don't, um, uh, I don't, I'm not sure um, exactly if we can pull that off without making it look, uh, without making them look silly. But. I'm uh, not at all confident that we can do this in a way that it won't look silly. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not either. Uh, I mean, maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah, we did. Marie and Nick are both reminding us that we did have a lot of monsters in the War of the Powers in Season 1, including a Watcher in the Water type. We actually i have forgotten that we had thrown that in there. Um, uh I'm I'm down with monsters, but I yeah. think like uh, a uh, like scenes of them tinkering with the monsters. Uh, man, that's... yeah, yeah. 
Um, uh, now, Tony points out that it does live up with the trend of Morgoth um, uh, perverting existing creatures, which is a good trend to emphasize, right? So that we can we can get that pattern in people's mind, right? That Morgoth is not a creator, but a corrupter of existing things. Um, I, we have not shown him capturing and corrupting ants, for instance, right? Nor do I think we want to show that, but we can provide enough examples to sort of show how that sort of thing is done. And so therefore to enable us to plant the idea later on, right? Um, that that's where trolls came from. Um, so, uh, anyway, okay. Uh, now, Ellen was suggesting that uh, the dragons should stay as a reaction to the failure at the Dagor Aglareb, and that does make a lot of sense to me, Ellen. The the one objection, well, not objection, but the one um, thing that I might add to that, though, is especially if 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 the Dagor Aglareb is Morgoth's plan, then yes. If 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 Morgoth is like, okay. Let's run with the Dagor Aglareb, green light on the Dagor Aglareb, and then it fails. And then they're like, okay, um, we gotta we gotta up our game here, or this isn't gonna work out, right, with the Noldor. If that's if that's the story, then it makes sense that the dragons would be the way to do that. However, if um if the Dagor Ag- I think we were suggesting earlier in last week's or last time's episode that um the Dagor Aglareb basically gets kicked off while Morgoth is away, corrupting men out in Hildorian, right? So Morgoth is in Hildorian, and while he's away, um, Sauron and Gothmog, but primarily Gothmog, um, pushes forward the Dagor Aglareb, um, and it fails. That opens up the possibility that basically this, that would not have been Morgoth's timing. Morgoth could have begun... Glaurung's a long-term project, right? He's growing for a while. Um, So, you know, he's... Which means, I think, we need to suggest some kind of process there, right? Like, this is not just a, you know... We we don't just need a ribbon-cutting ceremony on Glaurung, right? We need the sense that this is something that Morgoth is infusing with power and is growing over time. Uh, in which case, he would have already begun Glaurung before the Dagor Aglareb, and his whole plan was to wait until Glaurung was done, and then he comes back and finds that Gothmog has pulled the trigger on the Dagor Aglareb, you know, on the assault, the orc assault, prior to Glaurung's being ready, and he's like, you moron, right? Um and then Sauron is like, yeah, dude, you're a moron. Remember we talked about that last time, about how Sauron is kind of ready to have it both ways, right? He has yep. set up the betrayal uh, so that the, Dagor, the the orc assault can succeed, in which case he can take credit for that. But he's also positioned Gothmog to be the one who initiated it, so if it fails, he can be like, yeah, it was his stupid idea, right? So, um, you know, I yeah, think I that, that kind of works. I have a question. This might be a bit of a diversion. It probably is actually a diversion. But it occurs to me as I'm reading and, you know, uh, thinking about Marie's slide here. um, Is he a Maya? 
Well, okay. So yeah, because he's got his own. <laughs> got his own. No other creature other than Maya type creatures have their own uh, wills. I suppose you could call it. You know what I mean? And he definitely does. It's really hard to see Glaurung any other way. I mean, the kind right. of the kind of force of will that he has. I mean, he's not just an unusually smart reptile for crying out loud, right? Um, but here's basically, this is not something that Tolkien ever spelled out. This is not 100% clear. And to be perfectly honest, there are serious problems either way you go. Um, if you say that Glaurung, Glaurung's will and intelligence comes from the spirit of a Maya, which has been fused into the body of a beast... What about his children? How are his children into... I mean, I guess you can say... Well, I'm thinking Ungoliant. I mean, Ungoliant was a Maya, right? The way we have her. sort of. I mean, yeah. She had children. No, I'm not saying they can't have children. I mean, we know that Maya can have children. Um, But, so... It's uncomfortable. Um... It's uncomfortable in a couple ways. The way that... So, you, you think about... Okay. We have three models. Okay? Arguably three different models for how Ainu spirits can become connected to flesh. Okay? Model number one is the I'm choosing to manifest myself in a fleshly body. Right? right? The thing that all the Valar can do. So the Melian is in this position, right? Uh-huh. Um, Ungoliant was in that position, right? That was right. her body that she took on her. You know, she, she chose she, to. She yeah, chose that's true. That, that fleshly form, right? Morgoth originally chooses his fleshly form. Now his relationship with his fleshly form changes as his power changes, right? But, um, uh, but, uh, but anyway, um, it's, um, uh, uh, okay. Um, so we need to. Uh, so that's one thing, right? One example is that they manifest themselves in a body. The second example is what Tolkien emphasizes is the rather different relationship that, like, the Astari have with their bodies. Right, the wizards are incarnated in fleshly bodies. In di- Gandalf's body is not right. just a manifestation in the same way that, you know, when Olmo appears in the surf to to tour, right? He has a body. Um, presumably, if you had a big enough sword, you know, and could stab Olmo's body as he's standing in the surf. I don't think it would kill him, right? He's not going to die and his spirit pass back into Valinor. If it, that's like, they don't have that kind of relationship with their bodies when they're in type one, right? When they're just manifesting a physical right. form. The Istari are incarnate in human, like in, 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 in bodies that's different, okay? Now, third, I would argue... Um, and possibly in imitation of, or, you know, 
is what happens, like what is done to werewolves, right? Where a spirit is taken and housed in the body of a beast, presumably by force, and it's presumably unpleasant for everybody involved, seems to be, anyway, right? Um, that is, and, and it's, it fits the pattern, um, uh, it fits the pattern of, uh, um, the, you know, the mockery, the imitation, right, of what Iluvatar does and what the Valar do by Morgoth. Right. So, um, I, I could see Glatrung being more of the second type, believe it or not. Um, well, voluntarily, you know, or he could very well have been part well, of, you and know, that's the thing, right? We have, well, but see, if he's a spirit, so like we have, think about the, the cast that we have, the evil cast that we have already, right? We've got people like Tavildo. Take, take Tavildo as an instance, right? Tavildo, he's type one, right? That is, he's um, um, he's a a spirit who is manifesting a body. Right. Right. Um, right. Uh, oh, that's an interesting idea. Alan says maybe Glarung started out as a Balrog. Hmm. Um, maybe. Hmm. Maybe. Hmm. Um, I mean, I tend to think Glarung would do this voluntarily, so it wouldn't be a Type Three thing. Um, and if it's a Type One thing, it wouldn't be a process. Right, it would no, just be right. Morgoth exactly. recruiting a spirit who then chose right. to manifest himself as a large lizard worm thing, right? right? right. Um, who could breathe fire and dominate people's wills, right? So, like that would be, um, that wouldn't be hard. So, I think it, ha- if if it's going to be a process, it has to be essentially. To- so, in my view, the difference between what I'm calling Type Two and Type Three, Type Two is like the good guys and type three is the bad guys. Like the, the difference between them really is that I, I am not sure. Um, but you know, but Tracy raised a really interesting point. If the spirit in question is willing, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it's one thing for spirits to be compelled and for there to be this kind of horrifying necromancy thing, Ellen, as you were, as you were saying, um, uh, I, I, or as I said, very understatedly, very unpleasant for everyone involved. Um, but if there is a kind of willing incarnation, if some of the spirits, which are followers of Morgoth, say, we like the Astari, right? The Astari are spirits who volunteer for special duty, right? Uh, For this special relationship to Middle-earth, this special incarnation for them to go among the people of Middle-earth. What if some of the spirits under Morgoth say, hey, we're going to sign us up? Right. Mm-hmm. We're going to we're going to do this thing. And Glaurung is the greatest of these. And so the project then is the fusing of the spirit and the formation of the the development of the body. Right. right? Uh, which has to be kind of played out. And there's nothing wrong with the idea that Glaurung isn't a partner in this process. You know, in other words, that he volunteers. For, it's For some reason, I was thinking back to how we've done the Balrogs, you know, how they were originally angelic and right. and signed up with Melkor and you know I, that kind of thing. So there's no, I mean, Glaurung could be I from whatever whatever form he comes from could be. Hey, pick me, coach. I'm in. I'm your partner. Let's do this thing. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. as opposed to unwilling thing like you were describing in Type Three. Now I, the other reason for Type Two, of course, is when he dies, he needs to die. I mean, we can't have like the idea of Glaurung just hanging out there like you know like a Type One. Right. Um, right. So it needs to be more like the Astari type, uh, you know, thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, we do have like Nick, you know, this is a kick, big can to kick down the road is Smaug because Smaug has the same. Well, that's it. That same intent and intelligence and wiliness yes. and all that stuff. So, you know, and long process of growth, which all makes yeah. sense. It's not that we can't make that work, but maybe he's a reincarnation of uh, Glaurung. Maybe Glaurung is type one. <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, I mean, if we... <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's a real <laughs> kidding um, yeah yeah they um no doubt tolkien would be thrilled by this conversation oh my exactly. god he'd be like no 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 well but i mean you know this is i i well i mean look it's, it's partially his it's largely his fault we're having say, he has right. no one to blame but himself <laughs> no one to blame right. but himself. he can't complain um, He's the one who liked dragons so much, um, and so he put them in. I, I, I think we have to, I think, but M- Mario, I think they have to breed. They have to, because we have to have, I mean, most of them are going to be destroyed in the, in the, in the final battle, and then we're going to, well, we still need some down the road, like more than two. Um, uh, so uh, um, that is, we, we've got two named dragons, and I know that all but two die in the War of Wrath, but, uh, yeah, but I mean, Ellen, I've always understood, I've always read that as like, it was a boy dragon and a girl dragon who survived the War of Wrath, so that's why we've got the Withered Heath and, you know, there be dragons up in the north, so, um, uh, which is fine, like, again, Tolkien specifically allows for a breeding pair to survive the War of Wrath, so that's fine, uh, and Smaug can have ancestors, and, and you know, uh, uh, it's, and, and a line, therefore, that goes back uh, ultimately to Glaurung um, with adaptations, but um, and I guess it's fine if we make him essentially a type two, then, you know, a spirit who is incarnated in a body. Um, it's not a stretch, therefore, I suppose, to say that that um, uh, that that creature, Glaurung, right, in that state could have offspring, which would also therefore be intelligent and have wills like his. I mean. The question, you know, Ellen, the question that you were asking and the question which I'm like, don't want to even talk about because I don't know that we need to rule on it. Like, do 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 like dragons have souls and where do they come from if they do? You know, the later dragons, not Glaurung. Where where Glaurung's soul could come from is not hard. Right. I mean, again, he just needs to be a spirit coming in, uh, uh, you know, to be incarnate in that body. Um, well, where, I think Mavangolian's offspring is a model for that, right? Shelob isn't doesn't have a soul, right? I mean, who, that now there's a question that I don't know the answer to. Uh, does she have a soul? I, uh, what does that even you know? Wait, anyway, I don't even want to get and and, and <laughs> that word. Not even sure I want to go with that word. Uh, right. Uh, right. Ultimately, down the road, but um, uh, um, yeah. And ex- Tolkien put all these pesky little side creatures into the thing, you know? They're all just pesky. Pesky, pesky, pesky. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 Marie. Fea rather than soul. I mean, and, and, and there are other terms wow. we could use, yeah. I know, Ellen, that Ellen right. was talking about here. But the point is, Wrong. like, whether or not they have a soul, this, of course, gets us directly into the question of are they redeemable and all that. Like, we can't not use that word and not ask that question. So... My suggestion is that we stop talking about this almost immediately. So if we assume that he's type two, then I think he can have kids. We can we can understand right. him having we can understand both the process, the, the need for a process and growth, and we can understand 
uh, his going on to uh, sire broods of then breeding dragons uh, to perpetuate dragon kind, which will eventually lead us to Smaug. So I think that that's fine. Um, and, all right, uh, all right. For for my purposes, so I can so I can make sure I record this accurately on in a tweet. What are the three <laughs> types again? Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, so three types. Uh, type one is when the uh, the 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 Ainu being like either Maya or Valar manifests a, a spiritual form. Manifest themselves. Right. Yeah. They just That's right. We'll, we'll call the... that the Almo's appearance. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, exactly. The, the, and, that's the only... that, and that that also applies to, um, um, what's her name? What's wrong with me? Melian. Melian. Yeah, um, Melian. Yeah, Melian. And Melian is obviously, you know, able to breed in that form, so it, that's obviously possible. Uh, so, you know, that's okay. Um, could Gandalf sire kids, theoretically? Like, you know, I'm not saying he did. I'm not asking it did, like, Gandalf's private life here, but I'm saying is it, like... <laughs> Possible genetically for yeah, a starry like to a father doll. children. What? You <laughs> think he's built like, built a, like Ken a Ken doll? No, he was not. I do not believe that. <laughs> but, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah, no, he's. <laughs> He's, he's certainly at a bladder like, in any case. I was like getting uh, cray off. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I do think um, that, I mean, hey, goodness, this is something like we've got other wizards, right? Like we could, like we were talking last week, Dave, we got into the blue wizards last week and everything, you know, That's oh, right. oh, I missed so, it. You missed the blue wizards. So uh, we, we've, you know, we could have, is there any, do we have any absolute reason why one of the wizards wouldn't have children? Project like, me? sure, not. Like, oh, yeah, we, could, right. we could do that if we wanted to, right? Um, so, yeah, we could absolutely do that. Um, I, 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 but so, yeah, Trish, uh, Karita is thanking you for that. <laughs> Karita, I know. Of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Give it her an image. Give it a race. <laughs> right. Hey, one. I, that's my job. That's my job. <laughs> Let's quickly review two and three. Okay, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Got, 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 sorry. So two is the uh, like the werewolf model, right? The, the forcible, like, forcible thing. Yeah. Or no, sorry, three. sorry, sorry, sorry. So that was three. Two, two is... two is the is the incarnation of the of the of the Astari, right? Where where the spirit is incarnated in a form, it, it, it tied to that form much more. Much but it's more mortal. Fully. It can die. Yes. I mean, the form that can die. Voluntary incarnation. Yes. Yes. Right. Voluntary incarnation, like incarnation. full incarnation. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then the third is like this sort of warped imitation of that that we see in werewolves. Um, versus, so, yeah, willing versus unwilling, like Willing says. versus unwilling. Yeah. yeah. So Forcible embodiment. Forcible embodiment, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Marie is saying that um, uh, the difference between two and three is willing versus unwilling. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Here's my only quibble with going with that is I, does Morgoth have the power to do it? Part type two. Does he have the power to do type two? Um, can he, without any help from Iluvatar, do the kind of clean incarnation thing that happened with the Astari, or 
is the kind of warped werewolf thing the only option that is open to him on his own? I, I incline to that latter uh, view. Well, I, I think technically speaking, yeah, but I don't know how we get around it. I mean, if he can't do type two, uh, well, I suppose if he can't do type two, then it happened before he went back. You know, in other words, Glaurung was like a little newt. <laughs> <laughs> a cheerful, friendly, back good newt. Geico Gecko, you know. <laughs> the Geico Gecko is the as the ultimate progenitor of Glaurung. Now that's an image right, I didn't. He have. got a Luvatar to like do the thing for the starry thing for yeah, him. You know what I mean? I see. Um, but I don't see it. otherwise. I don't know. You know, this is one of those ones I want to kind of like not get into detail and like don't say anything and maybe the fans won't notice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think whatever we do, absolutely we do not want to have a, a, a conversation on screen between uh, Morgoth and Sauron reviewing the different options. Yes. <laughs> reviewing the different options. Definitely exactly. not. Exactly. Well, yeah, if Sauron, Sauron does a, a slideshow presentation for Morgoth and, and like a collection of his closest counselors. Right. Though Boomful's suggestion that uh, we have an early unfallen Glaurung who is kind of like Charmander the Pokemon is quite charming, I have to admit. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I think that, um, yeah, probably not. So, um, now, I, I, you know, Phil says now the our out could be, does he need the power so much as the consent from the infusing spirit? Well, so it could be. Right. I, you know. Okay. Right. Okay. Here's, I, Mariel is helping me because um, I'm, I'm. Good. Somebody needs to because I'm certainly not helping. I know you're, you're really not. Uh, <laughs> I am in that place where, like, you can tell that, like, I'm getting all twitchy, right? Like, I really don't want to agree with that, and I'm, but I'm trying to articulate why. Like, but anyway, so, but Marielle has an excellent point, which is, um, if he can cleanly incarnate things, then it means that the wizards chronologically are a copy of dragons, rather than like the other way around. And I I agree. Ah, The wizard should be an upgrade. The wizard should be an upgrade. Um, In the wizards, I think we should be seeing something that is unlike what we've seen before. Um, uh, And again, now, uh, Tim, don't get me wrong. When I'm talking about willing versus unwilling, I'm not at all suggesting, this is nothing about free will uh, and whether they're choosing to go bad. Not at all. The spirits involved all the spirits involved, like I'm presuming even the spirits in the werewolves, right, have chosen to go bad. That doesn't mean that they were chosen to be like painfully enslaved in the body of a wolf. However, that's all I'm talking When I talk about willing or unwilling, I'm talking about willing or unwilling to be incarnated in that form. Okay. It's not about willing or unwilling to be evil. That's, that's, that's totally not, you're absolutely right about that. That's totally not on the table. I'm not even talking about that. Um, but, um, so I I concur. I think I I want there to be I think it's so hmm, I think type 2 should be the better um um the better uh Valar sort of sort of analog of type 3. Yeah, I like Hakan's idea, you know, Glauron should be a willing subject but a minor survivor from the Atomno. And, 
Yeah. And if people yeah. really if people really insist that Glaurung is not a type three and is closer to a type two, then we can just have type two A and type two B. Well, yeah, you know, sure. And goodness knows what we really want is like, you know, years <laughs> a complicated down the road. Taxonomy. And like people starting podcasts in which they do analysis of this <laughs> to try to decide whether or not Glaurung is type two or type three, then we've succeeded, right? So yeah. I got hooked up on a little thing. Um, I I don't know if it was from people's comments or something we said, but something like, you know, there seemed to be some statement somebody made that Iluvatar would only do this for the Valar. But wait a second, folks. We got the music, okay? I'm not saying that Iluvatar would necessarily, you know, you just say, hey, Mel, you know, Morgoth, I'm going to give you a hand. I'm going to turn this dragon. But I want to just, I want to caution us to think about Iluvatar is not, all pro Valar all the time and anti Morgoth. There is the music. The music's already happened. And exactly. So, and the, the power that was delegated to Morgoth has been delegated to Morgoth. Um, right. And he and is and is clear as is clear exactly as you say, Trish, from Iluvatar's reaction to Morgoth's discord is right. Morgoth can, you know, he does allow Morgoth to choose to do with the power that is given to him what he chooses to do. The point that he makes is not, Morgoth, I'm going to circumscribe your power and prevent you doing stuff. It's whatever you do is going to redound to my glory one way or the other. Um, Eventually, You may as well come quiet. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I just wanted to say that because people were like, well, yeah. Iluvatar would, you know, I, I, he's not, he's right. kind of a neutral party at this point, folks. Well, not, not neutral, certainly not morally neutral or anything like that, but, but he's, it's, it's not, uh, the key what there I mean is, is the at this time. Already been, exactly. The music's the music. Exactly. The key is at this time. Remember, exactly. this whole history we're telling is in a sense a retelling of what has already been, right? I mean, it's, right. it's, it's, um, uh, Iluvatar's relationship with this is not right. strictly chronological. So Right, right. Yeah. Um But anyway, um uh Yeah. Okay, anyway, so what I'm trying to say is I think the primary in my mind, the primary difference between type two and type three. I think the primary difference should not necessarily be willing versus unwilling, but should be like mechanism. Should be... Well, I mean, okay, like this is just about the most pitiful way of describing it, but like one is good and the other one's bad. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm getting at here. You know, like, The key difference is good and evil. Good and evil, exactly. <laughs> like that the evil one... I'm thinking back here to what we were saying about the orcs, right? Remember when Morgoth comes and takes over the necromantic orc project, which was already twisted and certainly evil, um, but Sauron wasn't trying to create, like, monstrous beings. He was trying to create dark elves, right? He was trying to create elves. He was trying to uh, adapt elves who would serve and worship them. Um, And then Morgoth comes along and he's like, what I want are, you know, vicious angry, hateful soldiers. And so, and, and, but again, the important thing there is not just that he had a different vision for the project, but that he, his own anger and his own malice manifested itself in his works. Right. And that's why I don't, I think that's the ultimate reason why I don't want, uh, Morgoth to be able to do that kind of clean, 
mm-hmm. sort of pure incarnation thing where it works mm-hmm. seamlessly and everybody's happy about it because he's not happy about it. Like it's he's like all of the works that he does are tainted with his discord, with his, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. with the dissonance of his music, with the malice and anger uh, and selfishness of his uh, point of view. That, that has been, you know, all of which things have been increasing as time has gone on. Um, exactly, Ellen. His hatred, it has to... Yeah. The, the creation of dragons as an act of Morgoth needs to be, I think, manifestly an act of hatred, not just in its goal, right? Not just in that, more, you know, Glaurung will become an instrument of hatred, but that, like, the very process itself, when Morgoth puts forth his power, he is putting forth his power in hatred. He despises his own servants, uh, you know, as he despises his enemy. Like, he can't turn that off anymore. Um, so... Yeah. And I think I think I think it's also I think another key is it's not just um, sort of the the intent and spirit in which that Morgoth is doing this or the Valar and Luvatar, but also the intent of the the person being manifest. Like I think, uh, tell me if you yeah. disagree, but I think the what the the wizards do is fundamentally, or at least at the start, is fundamentally self-sacrificial. Yes. Yes. Um, it's yes. not like they're like, oh, great, I'm going on a vacation to Middle Earth. Like it's it's, <laughs> right. uh, it's and, something and, they're and, doing. And I get this sweet body too. Awesome. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Whereas I think the the spirits that are being manifest as dragons, um, it, even if it is voluntary, unlike the werewolves, it's still there's something corrupt about it. Yes. Others, mm-hmm. you know, like right. they're they're not right. selflessly trying to serve the no. greater good as they perceive it. Like they're right. doing it because they seek power over others. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And Morgoth knows that. And so, uh, you know, whereas the, you know, the, yes, like the, the spirits who are the Astari, com, you know, in, in their initial uh, commitment, of course, I think that's great. And Mario was just pointing out a very similar thing, which I think is, is, is super important. As she says, they're reducing themselves to better serve the children of Luvatar in doing that. It's an act of humility. Totally agree. And therefore, the Valar acknowledging, recognizing, and loving them for that, you know, help them and bless them for their act of self-sacrifice. Both sides of that work differently with Morgoth and Glaurung, right? Glaurung isn't doing it to lessen himself, right? He's doing this for his own advantage. Morgoth knows that he's doing it for his own advantage and wants to impose limitations on him because he doesn't want his servant getting uppity, right? And as, right. Well, and there will be tension, right? There will be tension, which segues us back to the problem of why does he get out in the first place? Um, uh, but hang on a second. Before I, uh, before I follow the, uh, the full potential of that segue... Um, do we want to show any progress? Do we want to tease it? Or let me ask the bigger question. How much of a surprise do we want Glaurung to be? When Glaurung busts out, do we want that to be a surprise to the audience or just to the elves? I think a surprise to the audience. Um... I think that makes sense. I think if, I'm in agreement that a surprise to the audience seems seems uh, like more interesting and exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, we could have him be discussed. You know, there was the there was uh, there was the suggestion um, that we uh, we have somebody you know conversing with him. We hear him as a voice off off screen. 
um, uh, within Angband, but we don't yet know who he is or what yep. he is. Um, uh, Should be suggested. There's a secret weapon. There's the you know the guy. Maybe we you know we could maybe even feature the um, the volunteer spirit on you know on screen be in discussion yeah. but like what is what 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 results his final form i think should be it, he should be a catastrophe yeah yes yes a, an anti you catastrophe <laughs> exactly yes. exactly um yeah so uh his uh exactly david his his appearance is a surprise without necessarily making his existence a surprise yeah yeah no that mm-hmm. that, that makes that makes good sense um, okay, so yeah, we can we can find ways to tease that earlier on, and in the context of the teasing his existence, we can, you know, bring about the um, uh, some reference to his growth or like that he needs to develop further. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, now, Glaurung's escape. This is to me still the biggest. Um, the biggest challenge. And, and as I think I said, when I set this up last week, my big problem with the Glaurung question, the Glaurung's early escape question is that how do we do that without making him look dumb? I mean, he could be young and foolish, but if our first impression of Glaurung is that he's pretty dull witted, uh, then it's going to be hard to undo that impression later on and have him be the master schemer, uh, and manipulator that we're gonna that we want him to be later on. Um, Glaurung as manipulator, you know, like Glaurung, Glaurung in the scene, in the scenes, you know, not with Turin but with Neonor, is like the most terrifying dragon I know. Like the, I, I don't know anybody who did a more terrifying dragon in the history of literature than Tolkien with Glaurung and Neonor. Like that is absolutely terrifying. Um, that moment when Neonor turns and there's Glaurung's head on the top of the hill staring at her in the eyes, right, is the creepiest dragon moment ever, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so why does this guy get out? Um, there seem to me two options here. Well, three options. One is just to make it a, a young, foolish mistake by him, but again, I, I have problems with that, or I think it's going to create problems for us down the road if we do that. Uh, the other two options would be that his getting out is somebody else's plan, and it's not his fault, and we make it clear that this is not his plan, and that he's been snookered in some way, but again, even that kind of undermines him a bit. Um, or three, we change the circumstances some. Um... And by changing the circumstances some... So, in the text, when he gets out, it's not a huge deal. Like, he's contained and turned back and forced to flee back into Angband by Fingen and his horse archers, right? Um, I'm not saying that the text says it's no big deal at all, um, but uh, it's a a relatively minor skirmish. That's the thing that I think conceptually causes me the most problem. If Glaurung gets out and everyone's like, and Fingen is like, it's okay, guys, I got this, right? Don't worry about it. We don't have to mobilize or anything. This isn't a big deal. I just gotta, I just gotta, I, I just gotta send, you know, this, uh, this beast escaped and I gotta, I gotta turn it back. Um, if we make it a bigger deal, right? If we make Glaurung's escape and rampage at the end of season four um, closer to a disaster, um, 
than or you know a limited a, a or a less limited disaster, right? I mean, if he accomplishes more, then I think I'd be a little bit more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder. Um, I wonder also if there could be a super cool, um, like a, an interesting way to present it, where uh, it's we don't we don't just show we don't show like his his daring escape, right? <laughs> but rather. We present something that looks more like, um, if, in in you know, in an initial presentation, it just seems like a really like a bad forest fire or something. Right. And then only at the end do we reveal the, um, you know, uh, Glaurong in the middle of it, uh, and that that he's the cause of it or something. So so it seems like a disaster. Right. Right. Sorry, I'm laughing because Hakan was just trolling me by saying, "Do you mean he could kill a large number of elven wives?" <laughs> ha 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 uh, <laughs> um uh, yes yes um no i i agree like it should it, it should be some kind of large-scale disaster right and as you say maybe we don't understand we don't fully understand it at first um uh Let's see. Um, yeah, that is. A, I mean, I, I like your idea for the visual representation of that, Dave. It's it's less is more. Yes, and uh, but also the, the the folks managing the CGI budget will be grateful. <laughs> um. Yeah, because we just need to bring in some like stock footage of forest fires, and then and we're good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. Um, <laughs> get some stock nineteen eighties Smokey the Bear footage, and we're we're all set. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Only you can prevent rampaging dragons. Um, <laughs> which they'd have to put signs like that up around Angband afterwards, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and as Ellen points out, um, it it does have to be plausible for the elves to remain overconfident without appearing as idiots as well, right? So we do have Mm -hmm. to manage that side of the affair, too. The other thing that I have to, uh, that we have to remember, this is the final episode, right? I mean, this is the end of the season, right? So Mm -hmm. the the escape of Glaurung has to look like a big enough deal um, to... um, uh, to be like a foretaste of disaster to come, right? As we will be cheerfully ending season five with a Dagor Bragalax. So, um, you know, uh, this is a deliberate parallel that we're setting up here at the end of season four. Um, oh, cool. Ellen says that an actual visual effects person joined the forum this week. Cool. Neat. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so we want a situation. So let's let's just spell out all the elements that we want to happen here. One, we want the elves to have a sense of foreboding and yet have good reason to think that they have things under control. Right? So that they're they're, as, as Ellen says, they're overconfident without being stupid, right? Uh, 
but yet there should be enough reason for at least some of the elves to be like, I have a bad feeling about this, right? Um, that's one element that we need. And, and also, and by the way, another element that we need is Fingon being heroic, right? And possibly more. Um, there could be other people in addition to Fingon who are being heroic there. Um, secondly, we need Glaurung being cunning. I think we have to, if Glaurung is going to be the cunning master manipulator, we have to have him be at least, you know, showing base cunning uh, and not foolishness and not, he's not a dog let off his leash. You know, he's not one, one of Trisha's horses escaped from the pen. You know, he's not, he's, he's, um, he's got a bigger plan than that. Right. Um, this contradicts my, my appeal for minimalism on his escape, but uh, <laughs> I think it'd be funny if afterward there's signs up everywhere in Angband about how, like, to, for the orcs, warning the orcs, don't talk to the <laughs> don't, dragon. Don't talk to the dragon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but right, but we have to... But he's not going to be able to achieve... We have to make him not achieve whatever end he was going for, I think. But mm-hmm. without looking like a fool either, Glaurung looking like mm-hmm. a fool either. Um, now, what is like, his end? What is his end? I don't, um, just to—he's been caged up for a long time, right? I mean, maybe he just wants to like kill stuff, right? He wants to burn some things. Like he well, could just I think have of, the desire. He's a to... sower of discord. You know, I mean, it's like Agravain in the in the Once and Future King series, right? He just makes. He just wants to be bad. He just wants to sow discord everywhere, plus get gold and power. Maybe he has an end which... So, his trip out is only a failure if his plan is to just, like, go on a rampage and destroy the whole continent, which he failed to do. Right. But that doesn't have to be his plan. You know, maybe his plan might be thwarted. Well, what's his plan? OK, what's his plan? That's the I'm wondering, plan. do you think maybe maybe sort of that he's been positioned that Morgoth has been sort of priming him and talking to him and sort of that Morgoth's clearly his goal is for him to be a, a weapon of war. But maybe maybe somewhere along the line, when it, one of the one of the orcs who got caught in conversation with him. Um, mentions one of the elf kingdoms, and he and he decides that his goal is to go and capture one of them, right, right, or something like something in that vein. That he has a, a very specific desire or so thing he wants. One desire of his, which would be easy enough to understand, and would certainly fit with his within the character that we see in him later on, and which would certainly fit within the overall milieu of the bad guys here is that he's tired of being kept down by the man, right? He wants to start his own thing. Like, he wants to be, to to, to run his own plots. He's not content to be like, all right, uh, here I am, like, the secret weapon. No, it's okay. Take take a couple more centuries. I'll wait. I'll sit in this cave. As several, as Hakan and Marie are all pointing out, um, you know, he's like infused with hatred and then kept in a box, right? So, you know, like that's not a happy situation for anybody. But it's not just that he is like an elemental force who wants to be released. 
He wants to, he wants to, you know, he, remember he sets himself up as dragon king in Nargothron. Like, my thought is that that's his end goal. Like, when you yeah. ask Glaurung what his, like, fi, you know, five-year plan yeah. is, that's his five-year yeah. plan, right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think that's what it is. And, and Morgoth, Morgoth doesn't, re- initially at least, doesn't really want him to do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not. He he he's not ready for that. So he and Morgoth have a sort of a difference of. I mean, Morgoth has like created him as you. He's 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 artillery, right? He's he he's he's the tank, right? Uh, like you know, he's designed to be the 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 you know the the heavy in battle. Um, and Glaurung is not content just to sit around and be a battering ram, right? He wants to. Um, he wants to set up on, on himself. I like Hawthorne's suggestion that he's tired of the orcs calling him Glomund. Um, yeah. I, I, or Glorund. That also bugs him, too. Can't the orcs ever get his stupid name right? Um, you know, Hawthorne, I have to admit, I'm like, I, I, I do sometimes toy with the idea of using some of uh, Tolkien's, like, having a running joke of, like, Tolkien's earlier uh, uh, names for things, like other people calling it being like, that's not what it's called, right? Uh, like, somebody calling the thing the Nauglifring and, like, somebody else giggling. But anyway, um, like that, no, what, no, no. Or close, but not quite. Let's call it something else. Anyway, um, uh, uh, so, um, yeah, okay. So, he he wants to set himself up Morgoth wants to wait because he wants to reveal him as like the big shock and surprise in the great battle that he's planning, which of course is ultimately going to be the Dagor Bragalak. Glaurung doesn't want to wait for the battle. He wants to set up for himself earlier. So that's what he's trying to do. So he, when he breaks out, what if he's being stealthy? What if instead of rampaging and then being turned away, like rampaging and then having a, like a short-lived and sort of pathetic little rampage. You've got your fire thing, Dave, right? And then, but then he's, mm-hmm. he's just, he's trying to slip out so that he can go find somewhere, establish a center of power and begin to, you know, maybe find a nice cavern somewhere, ideally with some treasure already gathered in it. Uh, you know, that he could uh, find and settle down in and sort of set up shop for himself. Um, and then he's f- found. Um, uh, yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's kind of interesting because it, um, it calls to mind the, con- the conversation uh, between the two orcs in Return of the King. Right. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere there, where, essence, where there's a lot of essence, loot, nice and handy, and no big bosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In essence, that 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 sh- that probably should be a common thread in all of the the evil characters. That at the yeah. end of the day, they're not content to serve Morgoth, exactly, or Sauron, or whoever. Exactly, and that's the that's one of the consequences of like being evil. Like when you turn away from the you know, the worldview that's based on like humility and community and instead like set yourself up. That's, that's what happens. Right. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, yeah. Karina says this kind of also reminds me of Galadriel, which is uncomfortable. 
Yeah, yeah, it should be a little uncomfortable, Karina. That's, mm. exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Yeah. So, no, I like this. I like this a lot. Um, he's fought and turned back valiantly um, because he's discovered. Right. The elves find him. Um, and now, uh, somebody was asking how he could sneak. Well, yeah, he's pretty big, but it's a big world, right? Um, you know, he, there are mountain ranges to hide behind and forests to creep within. And we know he can creep within forests even in his later days. Um, so, um, even though he's still big enough to knock over trees in his death pangs still, um, uh, you know, he could definitely, uh, uh, be trying to sneak out quietly and he would be he would be seen and reported so we would then this creates a nice little plot line doesn't it in like a nice little uh episode 12 to 13 plot line where we have some of the vigilant elves who see him and are like what on earth is that and then he's um, you know, and then they go and they attack him and then, then we, we get a whole sequence, right? Not just, a, um, not just a, a, a battle, but they've got to, they, they've got to track him down and then he's going to flee that see that also helps to prevent him from being easily overcome. He's going to run away, right? Cause once he's discovered and they come after him, he's like, okay, you know, I'm not really ready to fight the entire forces of the Noldor all by myself. So I'm going to, I'm going to cut bait and return to Angband. And, and I, you know, I guess we'll try it Morgoth's way. And then I'll try to set up for myself. I'll push my five-year plan back to a 10-year plan, uh, and, uh, uh, and come back to this later on. Um, I, you know, that, but that, of course, also then gives us the ability for the Noldor to be like, dude, we chased him away. Did you see how scared that guy was? Right. He just turned tail and ran like we can obviously handle that guy. Right. So um, with with, again, some people being like, uh, I think he might be capable of a little more than he showed us there. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you guys get. Uh, yeah. And so. Uh, as uh, as we're working out the outline, and as uh, uh, you guys are working through the, the 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 scripts and stuff, we can decide. I'm not. We can definitely we definitely want the surprise to be awesome when Glaurung appears. Um, but actually, that would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? To have like tracks of him be seen, right? People come across like his slot in the grass and being like, "What is that?" Right. Um, and then like we see the, you know, the Glaurung reveal at the big fight and everything. Um, and uh, yeah, Ellen, I am totally fine with him manipulating Gothmog. Gothmog is kind of my whipping boy uh, of the bad guys. I'm ready to like lump every bad idea onto Gothmog here. Uh, so having him deceive Gothmog into letting him out. Um, uh such that he can blame Gothmog and Gothmog can take the fall for him. If we want to show him being a manipulator in that way, I have no objection to that. Um, I think that could, I think that that could work. And Mariel, yeah, he absolutely can do some damage. The fight is not going to go easily. I don't think, I don't think that we have him turn around and run right away. Um, I think that he fights with him, but he's, he's, he's smart enough to see uh, once he's discovered and they're onto him, there's, there's no, you know, so he'll fight the ones that find him and put up a good fight. And maybe he'll even just destroy something nearby out of spite, right? But uh, town baiting is fun, after all, for dragons, right? But um, I'm just saying, 
he's going to retreat fairly quickly because he's too smart not to, right? He's too smart to think that he can take on, he can just take on all comers, right, uh, 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 indefinitely once he's been discovered. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mario, we could build it up that way too. Uh, I mean, like, uh, I, I, like a, 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 a squad of elves could find him and get slaughtered completely, right? And their bodies could be found. And again, we don't know what killed them. Um, you know, this was no orc work uh, here. Um, you know, you look at the big burned patches, what caused this? You know, is this a Bal- is, is Is there a Balrog out or whatever? Because um, remember, when a Balrog shows up, it's a big deal, right? And the elves will know this, so they'll be very nervous that, you know, a Balrog has invaded and what's he doing? Maybe, I mean, that's got to be their only theory, right? Um, anyway, yeah, so uh, I, I think there are bunches of ways that we can set up the 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 storyline uh and increase anticipation without spoiling the surprise of his appearance. Um okay, cool. Oh, hang on a second. I think I lost Dave briefly. Uh just like we lost me briefly earlier on. No, no. Hang on a second. And all right, here. Oop, there we go. He's back now. Okay. All right. And there he is. Okay, there you go. Dave's I'm back. back. Excellent. Okay, um, so yeah, yeah. I think I think that's um, I think that 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 seems to solve all the all the problems. There at least seems to tick all the boxes of what we really want to accomplish on both sides. There, I think we can we have some good uh, good uh, opportunities for uh, 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 elvish heroism. Um, on the part of both men and women, <laughs> let me emphasize, <laughs> and we can kill off as many men as we like, uh, and uh, we can, yeah, no, it's all good. Okay, so, so I think that uh, I, I think we're good. Let's so let's think about the elf women issue. Okay, so again, one major issue that people have been pointing out is that we've been killing off a lot of female minor characters like the wives and daughters uh, and sisters are all uh, superfluous until it's time for them to get killed. Um, Let me back up a second and say, and because I've talked about this before, I mean, you know, this is, this is, it's not the first time this has come up, you know, and we've, we've, we've mentioned this before when we've, when we've talked about this, we, uh, I, the primary reason we keep finding ourselves in that hole is we want to be careful with our management of characters. I think we have to make or perhaps re-examine some decisions that we've made. One of the decisions that we've been operating under is that we do we don't want to make changes to the existing story that we don't have to. So, for instance, I, I keep one term that I, one thing that I, one way I keep talking about this is like characters who have a job in the story, right? Characters who, who, who do a thing in the published text um, that we need them for, right? One way, of course, and you all know that this is a way that Hollywood likes to do when they're doing adaptations of this kind, right? One thing to do is to take some of those jobs that are given to male characters in the published Silmarillion and give them to female characters instead. That would give us the freedom to kill off those those published male characters. We've generally not done that. We have tried to avoid changing 
too much when, again, unless we feel any, there have been some times where we've added storylines, where there weren't, where we've created distinctions, where distinctions aren't really clear, where we've uh, uh, developed stories that were uh, either unmentioned completely or underdeveloped uh, in the published Silmarillion. But rarely have we made that kind of decision um, to say, like, okay, instead of having Angrod... Uh, be the guy who, you know, reveals the kin- kinslaying to Thingol. Let's, you know, have it be, uh, you know, an unmentioned in the published text female character, and let's just kill off uh, Angrod at the Helkaraxa, right? That's the kind of decision we have resisted making um, because we're because we're wanting to be faithful to the text, because we want, we, we want to build on the story that we have instead of just uh, changing it I was about to say arbitrarily, but of course that's not an arbitrary change, right? I mean, that's a change for a reason, right? Because the the majority of the characters, even though there are awesome female characters in the Silmarillion, the majority of the of the total number of characters are male. Okay, um, so that's um, uh, that's one thing um, that we could do now. I'm still not hugely happy about that. Um, But the alternative, the alternative is to basically take the female characters who are either non-characters in the Silmarillion, the published Silmarillion, I mean, or uh, characters who are only very, very briefly alluded to, um, or even only implied, and make them into characters that have serious jobs in the narrative um, equal to the jobs of the people in the published text. And the problem with that, I mean, every option, let me emphasize, I think we have to be clear about the fact every choice we make has potential difficulties that would have to be overcome, okay? There is no, like, easy solution to this problem at all, okay? Um, there's no zero loss, uh, 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 solution. Um, if we promote a lot of minor or non-characters from, and again, here, I'm just talking about the published Silmarillion. Uh, if we, if we, if we promote, if we create slash promote a bunch of characters, then we are expanding the Dramatis Personae, which is already very large. Um, now, I agree with suggestions. Somebody was making this, it was a long time ago and like 300 comments ago, so I don't remember who it was. Somebody was saying that it is, of course, possible to introduce like a random minor character briefly without having it be a distraction to the episode. Those, uh, the example cited was, you know, things like, uh, you know, shows like Firefly or uh, um, Babylon 5 did that really well, have like a minor uh, character who only is in like two or three episodes. Um, and, you know, and then they're gone and then they're done. Um, and that's fine, right? You don't need to like then keep, you don't have to like, they don't become this like endless pantheon of characters you've got to keep track of. I agree. Two things. One, the characters in neither of those series are immortal. And secondly, um, I have no objection to doing that. I have no objection to creating a, a character who is going to be... In fact, I was, I, we, we've kind of done that already, right? Like what I was suggesting with Aniel, uh, or Aniel, I find his name hard to say, um, uh, the, uh, 
the elf that we suggested for uh, the unknowing, the unwitting traitor, uh, the unwitting spy, um, uh, Tuor's future foster father. Um, uh, that would be an example, right? He would be in a couple episodes, right? He would be a significant character in a couple episodes, and then he'd go away, and we wouldn't see him for years, right? And we'd have to be, you know, and when we do see him again, you know, when Tuor escapes into the wilderness and meets him, it, we will definitely have to find a way to do a, hey, remember me? I was in this show seven years ago uh, kind of moment, and that's fine, right? I, no, I have no problems with that at all. Um uh, so in introducing minor characters in that way, I think, is absolutely fine. Um, yeah, Marie points out that uh, Nurwin in season two was like that. Sure, absolutely. Um, my problem is that um, <laughs> these characters are going to be around, a lot of them, for a really long time, unless we kill them off, which nobody wants us to do. Um, so... Uh, Again, I'm not objecting to introducing new characters. Again, we have lots of, uh, we have lots of, uh, of, um, I think that we, as the show execs, have shown ourselves willing to introduce new characters, right? Um, as long as there's a need for them. And I think we've shown ourselves willing to introduce new characters, um, uh, that when we do introduce brand new characters, we're willing to uh, uh, to you know have them be women or even to gender switch them, right? Like giving Celeborn a sister, as we did to be the you know uh, the leader of the um, uh, uh, you know the uh, narco narco-syndicalist commune that is uh, the Green Elves in Osirian. Um So anyway, yeah, th- there's, there's, yeah, we, we, we've done that kind of thing. We gender-switched Telkar, exactly. So, you know, not at all resistant to this on principle. To, this is why, to me, the big question comes back to that first one. Again, we have been operating under the premise of, A, we... We wanted. We don't want to cut characters from the canonical story unless we must, right? And we've been reluctant to say that we must. Okay, so if there's a job that could be filled by, a, you know, if if there's like an extra role that can be given to a canonical, like remember when we were like going back to Anile again, when we were brainstorming. Hey, okay, we need an elf who can be. Um, suborned as the, uh, you know, can be kind of corrupted, psychologically corrupted um, by Thur and Gwethel and Sauron and be the unwitting spy in the camp of the elves. Or be the, anyway, the, like the face of, the, uh, of that class of elves uh, in Sauron's plan. The first thing we did was say, who could we, like, of the elves that we have, the characters that are already ex- available in Tolkien's corpus published corpus, I would emphasize, in Tolkien's published corpus, of those elves, are there any elves that we could put into this role so that we can have fewer one-shot characters that we have to keep track of all over the place? Um, that's been our that's been our thing. Now, Ellen, I wanna I wanna I wanna address this directly right now. I'm not saying that the stuff in like the peoples of Middle Earth is not canonical. Tolkien wrote it, and it absolutely is. What I'm saying is, I've been teaching Tolkien for, you know, I've been doing this podcast for 10 years, and I can tell you that the majority 
of Tolkien fans, not of people, of Tolkien fans, have a hard time keeping track of the cast of characters in the published Silmarillion alone. Okay? I know. I have years of empirical evidence to say that which informs me that even Tolkien fans have a hard time and I know uh, 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 Ellen you are in the blessed minority when it comes to that um, but most Tolkien fans have a hard time keeping track of the list of characters in the published Silmarillion. And it is the mass of names and trying to keep track of everything, which is where most of the people, most Tolkien fans fail to read the Silmarillion through the first time. And the reason most of them fail is trying to keep track of all the names. This is what all of my, um, uh, uh, this is this is what all of my experience in the last decade has led me to. This is why I am really loath to just introduce Nick. And I, I'm not, I know they're there. I know they're there. But in my mind, we're pushing the envelope even by keeping all the Silmarillion characters. Like, I thought Peter Jackson pushed the envelope by not trimming down the number of dwarves that went with Bilbo in the Hobbit films. I was ready for that. You know, we talked about that in Riddles in the Dark. We thought he might, right? Um, and I thought it was gutsy, and um, uh, I, I thought it was gutsy and and, uh, uh, and and bold of him to keep all 13 of them and try to distinguish them, as he did. Um, so... Um, Again, I'm not, goodness knows, I get really annoyed, too, with what I view as a tendency for film adaptations to dumb things down. And I'm not trying to dumb things down, but we do need to be careful. I mean, I do think that um, there's a limit, and I want to be really cautious with the number of characters that we introduce on top of pretty much every, I mean how many characters have we cut a single character from I, I, I don't mean killed off I mean cut a single character from the published Silmarillion I'm not aware that we have I can't remember a single character in the published Silmarillion that we decided we're going to cut right um, and you know that's still our primary text it's still all of the history of Middle Earth stuff totally relevant but um um but it's um, so it's totally relevant. But it's not um, it's not our primary text, right? It's a resource that we can freely uh, use, um, but it's not our primary text. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah. Anyway, so. All of this is actually not yet relevant to the stuff that's on this slide. I just wanted to address the the core issue of the question of characters and introducing characters. Because, again, I'm not seeing it. Like, back to the question of killing off the women. Um, killing off women. Okay. There the problem is we've got to kill somebody, right? People need to die. We can't just kill red shirts all the time. Right. If we kill Richards all the time, we're not the the thing is not going to have the kind of emotional impact that we need the story to have for it to be true to the Silmarillion. Right. The Silmarillion needs to be 
gut-wrenchingly full of loss. That's like Tolkien, gut-wrenchingly full of loss. That's almost the number one criteria of a faithful Tolkien adaptation, in my opinion, right? So, um, we, and, that, and that's why I am so apparently bloodthirsty in these conversations and saying I want to make there be as much suffering as possible. Um, not because I just enjoy watching people suffer, but again, it, the, the, having people experiencing grief and loss, like that that's so central, I think, uh, to um, not just the Silmarillion, but Tolkien's thought. Um, so... Uh, if so, therefore, if the loss is to be felt, the characters who die have to mean something. We have to have significant characters dying. Which leads us back to question number one. Are we willing to kill off instead of killing off the characters? So if we have the two, char- the two groups of characters... Right. Characters who have roles and jobs in the published text and characters who don't have roles and jobs in the published text. Um, If we decide what we've been doing is not killing off women. What we've been doing is killing off people, more people in that second category than in the first, because we don't want to reallocate their jobs if we don't have to. Right. So we're not going to kill off Angrod uh, yet. We're not going to kill off Ignor yet. Until he gets killed off, right? We've got a job, a big job for Ignor, right? Um, we're just, we're not, we haven't randomly killed off Feanorians. We did kill off one, but it wasn't random, right? Um, uh, anyway, we, you know, so most of the time, and 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 he didn't have a job, right? Um, you know, my, uh, Angrod doesn't accomplish much, right? He doesn't have any real jobs. Uh, he's noted as being in a couple places, but like, you know, give me a paragraph on what, Angrod exactly accomplished himself personally in the published Silmarillion after the burning of the ships, right? I mean, he's barely mentioned. So he was, in that sense, as far as jobs in the text are concerned, comparatively expendable anyway. So that was fine. Um, We have tended to be killing off characters in Category 2. And the fact is, based on the way Tolkien wrote the text, there are more women than men in Category 2. Of characters. So we've not been preferentially killing off women. We've been preferentially preserving the roles that are there in the text. And I think if we want to shift that, then we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to shift roles. We're going to have to do some gender switching. We're going to have to give some of the jobs that are given in the text uh, to men to women instead. Which I'm okay with. We can talk about that. Um, I just, I'm, um, I'm the, I, but see, I, I, so Ellen, I think you're exaggerating. Um, we're treating female for the two things that I feel very strongly about. First of all, by killing people off, remember, we're treating them as people by killing them off, right? We're, we're we are trying to capture the real suffering, right? Involved here, the real loss. Um, that's important. It's not, these are not, I mean, I, I, I keep using the phrase red shirts, right? These are not just people that we're killing off on away missions in Star Trek. Not at all. Not in any way. The whole reason, if whenever we have brought in somebody's wife or daughter or something in order to die, 
we've done that in order to maximize the human impact, not just on the man, but on everyone, right? On the other female relations of that person too, because women are people and are important. And so we care when they die. If we didn't, I wouldn't suggest it. So I object to the idea that um, if we, uh, if we if like we kill off a female character, that means we're dehumanizing that character. I think that that's backwards completely. Secondly, um, uh, we I, I, no, there is no second thing. Never mind. Um, so <laughs> so uh, I, I think that's um, um, I think that's. I think that that's fine. And I think that that is very different from fridging. And I would be happy to have a debate about that. And we did talk about this. We, we had exactly the fridging discussion earlier on. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I have no manner of objection to develop the stories of the women before they die at all. Um, not at all. Um, I just, two things. First, I want to make sure that we're not having to go out of our way to create new jobs. Again, we've got lots of jobs being done by lots of characters. I don't want to create new ones in the storyline. Okay. Um, what we're going to talk about here in a second, what's on this slide, these are societal roles, which are going to be in the background. I've never had any objection to things being, to nuanced elvish society being shown happening in the background. What I'm talking about are plot roles, plot jobs, scenes with dialogue and action, right, that involve these characters participating in the story and contributing directly to the story. That's what I mean by a job, okay? And if we're going to make, if we're going to create new plot lines, we've got a lot of plot lines here already, right? And again, we can choose to take some of the plot lines canonically given to male characters and give them to female characters instead. If we don't, I would like to know exactly, I just don't understand. How are we meant to develop their characters more, their personalities more? Um... If we, I mean, where, how, like, literally on scene, how are we, um, how are we going to, how are we going to do that? Um, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm not saying it's impossible to do that. I am open to ideas. I'm just worried that we've spent a long time now talking about all the different overarching plot lines that we want to fit into season four. And it's a lot. If we can do it, I'm all for it. I'm game. Pitch it. Let's hear it. But I, uh, I, I mean, I'm just, again, I don't want general principle. Our danger here as storytellers is shoving in too much, not leaving gaps. Um, you know, I don't think that anyone is going to, you know, listen to the story that we're trying to tell here in the film film project and be like, you know, there just wasn't much happening. Right. I mean, it's too bad there weren't any characters and, and you know, like nobody ever did anything like this. It's going to be like hard to follow and keep track of everything is going to be the problem that we're bumping up against. I'm pretty sure. Um, so, uh, um, 
Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Um, okay. So let's, um, Let me think about let's let's uh, think through some of these societal roles that people were talking about. I do think I, you know, maybe I shouldn't have started with, uh, with what I started with there. I, I ultimately I feel that the objection to the killing off of female characters is an oversimplification. I really do. I think you're oversimplifying the stories that we've been trying to tell. Um, I get it. I really do get it. If we were dehumanizing female characters, that would be a problem. I do not think that we are. And I don't think that having them die uh, is dehumanizing them. As I said, I strongly object to that. Um, uh, I, think it's, I think it's an oversimplification. And I think that... Uh, and, and Ellen, I think you in particular seem to think that I'm being re- uh, uh, resistant to way more than I'm being resistant to. I'm not at all resistant uh to any of this stuff or to uh to 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 um you know to to anything that we can do and still be telling a sensible story that's going to be able to be powerful and understandable by people um i'm perfectly willing to do i think it's a great idea um again i just i think that y'all keep killing off women is an oversimplification um uh that's all that's all um uh okay so um yeah yeah and Karina, this is the other thing i don't want to uh all right it's fine no i'm going to keep talking about it it's just i sorry i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to refer to it here Karina, exactly as you say um, so Karita says, as long as we're not primarily using female characters as a sad backstory for the male characters. No, of course. But guess what? Like, often people do have, like, there are going to be a bunch of widows and widowers in the Silmarillion, right? And it's not bad to have, like, it is not fridging by definition, to have a character die in order to have it have an effect on another character. Like, that's not... Like, that is such an oversimplification. It is often what happens in a story, right? That the death of one character affects other people. And often, we don't have time necessarily to make every single character before they die. You know those things that George R. R. Martin does where he, like, does a... 50-page diversion giving us the entire family history of the minor character that he's going to kill off in an inconsequential way at the end of it, right? In order to accomplish a tiny piddling plot point, but we get the entire backstory of the character before that character's almost completely inconsequential death, right? Now, you can do that. If you're George R.R. Martin and you're writing an infinitely long fantasy series that may never get finished, you can do that kind of thing. I'm saying I don't think we're going to have time to do that kind of thing. Um, So, Tony, exactly. What happens in real life is that, like, people's death affects other people. And we can't apologize for that. You know, Turgon 
in the story is motivated by the death of his wife. And why shouldn't he be for crying out loud? Why should we why should anyone be upset if we show the death of Turgon's wife in order to show the effect that it has on Turgon? Because Turgon's an important character. And yes, in the big picture, in our story, he's a more he's, he's a bigger character than his wife was. That's okay. We can do that, right? Uh, and and we can do that without being uh, without being uh, uh, accused of fridging. And no, we don't give all of the men personalities before they die and none of the women. But again, back to the fact that the majority of the characters given jobs in the primary text are men, right? So unless we want to change the roles, that's weird that, you know, that's the bind that we're stuck in here. Um, so anyhow, um, uh, the, uh, I, 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 I am, uh, uh, I mean, I don't want to overreact to what I feel is an overreaction, but um, uh, but again, I think we need to be I think we need to be careful here. I think we need to be careful. To, and I'm not going to go uh, 10 miles out of my way to avoid, uh, you know, being accused of fridging um, when I think it's a it's a superficial reading when I think it's a superficial accusation. Uh, people can make the superficial, superficial accusation as far as I'm concerned. And Bree, exactly. Everybody dies on Turgon. Everybody dies on Elrond. Like, we're going to kill off a bunch of people and show the effect it has on Elrond, right? Um, that's what happens, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, okay. So let's talk about Let's talk about these roles. So uh, this was a really cool discussion that happened on the board. And this was what I was talking about at the beginning when I said that they had a really cool digression, uh, uh, which is exactly how we so often do this in the broadcast as well. Um, when you start thinking about a particular issue or a particular plot line, which then leads you into thinking about larger questions, right? You know, sort of uh, doing more, you know, sort of fleshing out in world building. What are some elements and thinking about what Tolkien said about this and thinking about how we want to adapt that in the story. So um, we've got this this concept of a a dichotomy between healers and fighters in Elvish society. Uh, And this trend that the majority of women are non-fighters and the majority of men are fighters, uh, but that there is, in fact, more crossover than you tend to see among mortals. Um, and the, the role in particular here is the role of, 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 of Bison. I've never been quite sure how to pronounce that. Um, the one who grows the wheat and makes the lembus and gives it to people. Melian, right, as the, 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 the lembus giver, right, um, of Doriath. She is, of course, the classic model uh, for that. And the model which, of course, Galadriel is uh, 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 enacting, right, later on uh, in, uh, in, in Lothlorien. Um, and this role, this person, uh, is always, is always female. There aren't any examples of, uh, uh, of men in this regard, though I would point out when Elrond, Elrond and his giving of Miravor, it's not the same, but it's a similar kind of role that Elrond plays. Um, not the, uh, there are certainly parallels between them is what I would say. I'm not saying it's the same role, but there are parallels, uh, between the role that Elrond plays, especially in his giving of Miravor, uh, and, um, uh, and, and, uh, in the Lembus giver role there. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so, uh, uh, Marie said that the, um, um, the, the, 
discussion is suggesting that somewhere between 5 and 30% of women would fight and similar percentages of men would be non-fighters. Yeah. Yeah, and I would lean even you know, like I'd be totally fine uh leaning more I I maybe maybe 25% is where I'd be perfectly content visually, right? Uh you know, if about a, a quarter of the elvish army um is uh um uh is female and about a quarter of the you know of the of the non-fighters uh are 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 are, are male that you know that would kind of work for me um uh so the um so this other role, Harold, the, the the second in command to a military commander being possible to be filled by a healer. Of course, the classic example of this, in fact, really the primary example of this that we have uh, is uh, uh, is Elrond uh, as the Herald of Gilgalad. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so that's that's a role which, again, is is sort of on the I kind of like the idea of that being filled by a uh, by a non-fighter, of course, not only because Elrond and Gilgalad would appear to um, uh, to fall into that pattern. Um, and so we can sort of show that. Hap- but I, I, I like the idea um, uh, of having that happen because it sort of shows, I think, the. One of the important things that we would want to resist, there's always the temptation, I mean, there, goodness knows there are lots of patterns of society, right? Where you have the warrior class and the non-warrior class, and the warrior class is usually dominant, right? Because they're the ones who will beat your head in if you oppose them. Um, whereas the people who are the non-fighters are less likely to do so. So in a lot of societies, the warrior class is on top, uh, and the people who are healers are lesser, right? Um, and lower in the social hierarchy, I do think it's super important for us to show that there is no lesser in hierarchy uh, there, that the Elvish people as a whole obviously value the healers uh, and the Besign as much as they do, um, uh, you know, at least as much as they do the fighters, that there's, there's not, uh, there's no, I, I wouldn't think there would be any sense of hierarchy between them. I think that they would see these all as important roles that they're um, that they're that they're playing. Um, uh, so, um, anyway, um, uh, and then scholars, of course, there are fewer, comp- surprisingly few examples of scholars actually uh, in Tolkien's sco- uh, stories. Um, Rumil, of course, also comes to mind as a scholar, in addition to Pengalot of Gondolin. Um, and I guess one thing I would say here, I'm not sure that I would differentiate there. Um, I'm not sure that scholar and healer is necessarily a different group. Um, uh, so when we use the word scholar... I think, and when we think about scholar as a category, it seems to me that we um, we tend to think about that the the image that that word tends to um, conjure is the idea of somebody who sort of retreats from active roles in society in order to study things, right? I mean, that's like the modern academic concept, right? Um, and that doesn't seem very elvish exactly. Um, 
I don't think that an elvish scholar would be retreating from the world and studying abstractly, right? I would think that, um, nor am I even sure that it's exactly a subset of the non-fighting, hewing people. I I think it would be a little bit more fluid than that. That is, I, I would think that those who seek to gain a deeper wisdom and a more intimate understanding of how, you know, the world works, right? Um, that's what I would think a scholar, like if there's a thing called a scholar, but that's what hewers would be too, right? I, I, like, I think it's, it's the same thing, right? Um, so, uh, um, so I would think, um, that, uh, so Marie, I agree that someone who studies and teaches would be a non-fighter. Absolutely. I'm just saying, I don't think there's, I wouldn't distinguish them from hewers. Like I would think that all hewers would be scholars. Like I, 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 I think it's, I think it would be interesting to show that as being the same thing. Um, certainly I don't think that there would be any distinction between like book learning and practical action. Um, because I'm not even sure how many books elves have, frankly. I and mean, we've talked about that a little bit too. Um, uh, the whole written word thing is, um, not of instant and immediate use if you are an elf, necessarily. Um, uh, Not that writing isn't of any use, but again, libraries. How many libraries are there in the elvish world back at this point? You know, when elves start to die out and stuff stuff starts to get destroyed and memories threaten to be lost, then you know, maybe, yeah, you know, then you, you, I could see in the later, in the first age and in the second and third age, elves being, some elves being more dedicated to building libraries and, and preserving lore. Um, but much, much less so, I think, at this stage. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, exactly, Ellen. I mean, their brains are such that they, they don't have much, much need for that. So, um, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Marie Rivendell is a library, but again, it's a third age thing. Right. Um, uh, I mean, when we see right, the library of Rivendell that we see is the third age library. Right. Um, so anyway, I, I think it would be, it would be interesting just for us to have a, a greater blend of that, um, of those, of those concepts, healer and scholar, I mean, and artist, frankly, same thing, right? Same thing. I don't see any major distinction there. So I, I, I would, I would, I would blend all of those categories into one thing, into the larger category of, like, those who are focused on, you know, understanding, interacting with, and enriching Arda, right? Like that's what non. That's like the definition of non-fighter uh, in Elvish terms is, right? Um, is to do those things. And so, um, the real fluid lines. So like Pengalod, Maglor, Dairon, um, Elrond, uh, like all of the healer figures, like all of those would be in the same, would be understood to be in the same. It's not that they all do exactly the same thing, right? Just as you have, you know, you might have, you know, like the, the different Noldor who have different interests, right? And different kinds of crafts and things like that. Um, you would have obviously non-fighters who would have lots of different, of course, craftsmen, another example of a non-fighter, right? Uh, 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 Kurufin and Kelebrimbor, um, with their, 
uh, forge work, right, are also non-fighters who are also artists like Maglor and Luthien and Dairon, right, though not in the same media and not focused on the same thing, and like Pengalad and like Elrond and others, right? So um, I really see all of those things put together um, and... Uh, um, uh, and uh, and really flowing together. But I also, I, I think we need to be careful. Again, um, and I'm not, sugge- and obviously I'm not suggesting that the, the, the division between elves, like the different classes of elves, are, um, uh, are, are like human societies. My point is that they shouldn't be, and we need to be careful to make sure that they're not taken that way. Um, so just as we want to make sure that we're not suggesting that the fighting class of elves is the superior or dominant class in elvish society so too i think we need to make sure that we're showing that the fighting elves aren't dumb or you know that they're not thugs um there has to be a lot of fluidity there i mean every elf even a fighting elf who's dedicated to you know somebody like mablung Right. Mablung of the heavy hand is to me like when I think of a fighting elf, Mablung is one of the first ones that comes to mind for me. Right. Mythros uh, would be a, would be a, you know, especially post uh, uh, Angban Mythros would be a pretty close second. But um, uh, but anyway, like even them. Right. They do a lot besides fight. They live a long time. Right. If you're alive even for one thousand years, you've got a lot of downtime. Right. You can spend a lot of time training. You can you can be prepared for battle. But the amount of time that you spend with a weapon in your hand is still going to be the vast minority of your very large stretches of time uh, in your life. And you're still an elf. You're still going to be doing you're still going to be a craftsman. You're still going to be an artist. You're still going to be a healer. You're still going to be doing, you know, uh, lots of that kinds of things. So um, I really um we can certainly show some that are way... I, I think we can show some that are totally non-warriors. Um, you know, some which just have totally dedicated themselves to the non-fighting stuff, and so they really don't take up arms at all. Um, and their only contribution in a conflict, as we showed with the spiders, right, uh, uh, back in Season 3, um, is through artistry like Dyron and Luthien, that I'm, I'm referring to, of course, back there in Season 3. Um, is through artistry and not through arms, uh, right? Through swords and, and, and spears and bows. Um, but, um, so, um, anyhow. Uh, but at the same time, the fighters can't be one-dimensional, right? That, that's, that can't be. There's just, there's, there are going to be zero elves. Even Mablung is going to do something, right? Even he's going to, play an instrument or something right um so you know definitely um uh, i think that we really need to show um that yeah um yeah 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 definitely so um absolutely yeah and and Ellen, my implication in all of this, of course, as we said at the beginning, is that men and women. So, yes, men and women are all, you know, uh, in both of these categories. Um, and I think that we show that. And I think it's one of the things that it would be fun to go back and think through as we are going through, of course, our next stage. Right. The next thing we're going to get to is mapping out the outline, um, mapping out the outline of the 
um, of the um, of the of the episodes, right? Taking all of the stuff that we've been talking about and really mapping out uh, how we want it to to proceed. As we do that, it will be interesting to be thinking through our cast a little bit more clearly and giving them roles. Again, I want to be careful about pigeonholing them too much um, because, again, I think that all of them are going to be uh, are going to be most of them anyway, are going to be fairly nuanced. Um, But still, uh, I definitely think. um, uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah, Tony. Yeah, uh, Gurney Halleck, right? Absolutely. Yeah, from Dune, the great swordmaster who's uh, who's known for uh, his skill at the balisad and his and his songwriting. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you've got to you've got to think if Gurney Halleck can do it, then uh, um, then uh, uh, then you know even like you know uh, 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 Mablung of the Heavy Hand can do it, right? Um, yes. Um, so uh, so yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay, so uh, some some more examples. Um, thinking about, I, I I think it would be fun to think through to do some of this to to apply some of the. I've said this before. This is one of the really cool things of being able to do the film film stuff. Is that some of the things we get to do are some of the things that Tolkien always wanted to do but never got around to. That is taking some of the ideas that he had later on, whether they be ideas from the Lord of the Rings or ideas from his later post Lord of the Rings work, and doing the work that he never lived to do, um, which is work it backwards into the Silmarillion story. Right. So yeah, by all means, let's think through. Uh, some more things about these societies and fit the characters, some of the characters that we do have into some of these roles and uh, into these, the, 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 the pictures that we're able to develop of these societies. Though I would want to add, we can't forget that we want to uh, have some clear differences between Noldor societies and Sindar societies as well. Right. So we, we need to uh, make sure we're not making the, uh, the, uh, the society's too homogeneous here in, uh, uh, in, in, in thinking these through. Um, but yeah, Arivel would be the Basan of Gondolin. Yeah, that makes sense. She would be the, uh, the, the, the Lembus giver, uh, there. Um, I like, uh, Idril is certainly the brains of the operation, one way or another, there's no question about that, right? That Tolkien is very clear about. Um, it is Idril who's like, maybe we should make a way of escape, right? Let's let's think about a secret tunnel that might be prudent, right? That was Idril's idea, you know. We know that Idril uh, um, is uh, is 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 definitely um, the uh, the the brains there. Um, uh, Having Kurofin's wife be a healer? Yeah, sure. That Mithros will need a healer when he's rescued. Um, I again, my question is: Is that a? Are we going to have a, 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 a? I mean, we can introduce her. We can. I mean, are we going to have a scene where we can really make a well-rounded character out of her? Are we going to have enough time to be able to make a well-rounded character out of Kurofin's wife healing Mithros? Maybe, maybe. Um, uh, you know, we can, uh, that's, that's possible, but I, you know, again, my worry is always trying to squeeze in too much, not leaving out stuff. Um, uh, uh, 
just because something needs to happen doesn't mean we're necessarily going to have time to show it on screen uh, is the main thing I'm, I'm concerned about there. But yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I love the idea of Oradreth being a healer as well. So instead of showing Oradreth as just, you know, wussy, right? Instead of just showing him as, as being weak, um, he's just he's just not a fighter, right? Um, and this would place him naturally. So showing the or the role that Oradreth falls into with Turin, right? When Turin comes to Gondolin, Gondolin, listen to me. I'm sleep deprived again. When Turin comes to Nargothrond and becomes the dominant lead, you know, fighter leader there in Gondolin, Oradreth, though he's the king, right, kind of slips into the second in command role, right? And I think it would be it would be kind of cool to set that up as a pattern in a way um, that we can um, uh, that we can uh, um, that we can you know make that make sense so it doesn't look weird it doesn't look like we're you know it it it, it doesn't make Oradreth look bad it's it's a natural place for him to be and it's it's it makes his it makes what happens with Turin and what Turin does in Nargothrond a a little bit more on Turin, which is I think no harm done, and b uh, a little more tragic. Um, so uh, anyway, um, the High Kingship is a military position. We had decided that, right? When we when we did our digression on what does kingship mean among the elves and what exactly is the job description of the high king, we had decided that the primary job of the high king was to be military leader of the combined forces of the Noldor, right? That's an implied subtitle of the role of high king. So that does mean that high king... Um, would have to go to a fighting elf then, not a non-combatant elf, which also gives us all kinds of convenient ways to explain the reason that Turgon becomes um, the uh, High King after Fingon, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. See, so Ellen is concerned, which is very sensible. And Ellen is very sensibly concerned that uh, Oradreth being a hero and not a warrior makes it hard for him to be king. Um, because kingship in wartime would also be a military posi- position locally as well. Yeah. But what if that's a mistake from the... That's, that, we just make that a red flag from day one, right? What if the the the... Elevation or choice of Oradreth as king in Nargothrond is a reflection of the attitude of the um, uh, of the uh, the you know the 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 of the elves of Nargothrond. Um, what if it's a bad sign, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Ellen, exactly, that does also give a non-sexist reason for why Idril isn't the next High King of the Noldor after Turgon dies, right? But again, Turgon was not the son of Fingon either, so 
there is no absolute reason to believe that it necessarily has to pass down father to son uh, either, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Ellen, you're right about Oradreth and Minas Tirith, though. Are we doing Minas Tirith? Is Minas Tirith happening in season four? I'm forgetting. We haven't talked about it that much. We've mentioned it, but we haven't I talked about it. I don't think so. I don't think we've talked about it. It needs to be built in season four. Could we do it in season five? I he say says, kick the can. Hoping to procrastinate? No. Yeah. Yeah. Kick the can. Uh, um. Yeah. I agree it needs to exist during the siege, and obviously it has to be there before Sauron takes it over. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't be a season five thing. Season five is still... Siege lasts two seasons. Uh, <laughs> Nick says, hey, maybe we should just split season four into two seasons. Ha, ha, yes. ha. Um, <laughs> um, well, we'll have to think about that, where that goes. We'll have to just include that in our list of stuff to work through in the outlines and see where we can do it. I'm a little nervous about it, honestly. Um, I, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense, and I know that in the text that's where it is. I'm just like, do we have a story for it? Is it... Uh, um... um Yeah, see, David, I'm kind of inclining towards that, too. I kind of think after the battles, hey, I've got a plan. What if, yes, Glaurung escapes through the gap, right? When Glaurung gets out, when he sneaks out, he escapes through the gap of Syrian, which is where he's going to go later on. Also, so it prefigures his later moves. He gets all the way down to the Gap of Syrian, um, and they see like, okay, this is the, we've got to be super careful here, right? So after the Glaurung thing at the beginning of season five, they're like, let's build a new fortress here, uh, you know, uh, to like help to uh, keep an eye out here, right? And um, uh, and we can uh, and 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 so that 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 starts that, and then so we have them build it at the beginning of season five and then Sauron can take it over before the end of season five so that he can be running it uh, later on. Um, I like I, it. I know Marie that Fingen, Finrod and Turgon building things is a story in this season, but that's exactly my like they're already busy building Nargothrond and Gondolin, and I'm not sure I want to distract from that. Uh, I think I want to keep the focus on Nargothrond and Gondolin um, because Minas Tirith is is minor. It's important, but it's minor, way more minor than Narg than I don't want to create any sense of like and they're building three things, Minas Tirith and Nargothrond and Gondolin, cuz keep in mind, everyone's going to think Minas Tirith is more important than it is anyway, cuz they recognize the name, right? As soon as we call it Minas Tirith, everyone's going to be like, "Ooh, they're building Minas Tirith," and they're not going to know that it's not actually all that important, right? So, if we have them building three things, one of which is Minas Tirith, there's going to be a bunch of people who think that Minas Tirith is the most important one of the three, right? Um 
So anyway, I'm, that's, why, that's why I'm just suggesting uh, if you guys hate the idea and want to work it in, I'm, I'm open. Uh, but uh, but I, I, I really want to... Um, um, uh, I, I, I really want to, to, to bring in the focus there. We'll see. Well, but Ellen, we do need to focus on it more than we do Himring or Barad Eiffel because it is going to be more important than they are later on. Like, action's going to take place there. It's going to be a major centerpiece of action in the Baron and Luthien story when it's, uh, uh, when it's taken over by Sauron, right? Uh, so, um, you know, we do need to. Uh, it's it's not as important as Gondolin or Nargothrond, but it's important to establish for storylines so that it's because having Finrod, you know, uh, uh, having the cleansing of the Isle and Finrod buried there, right? Tolan Garahouth is is important. It will play an important role anyway in that story. Um, so I do want to give it a little bit of a spotlight. Um, much more than like the other perimeter defenses that they um, that they um, set up, um, because it unlike they it is going to be a, a significant theater of action um, in a, a very important future story. So, um, anyway, we'll see. We'll see exactly. Finrod dying in his own tower matters too. Exactly. So, um, not to mention here's another possible angle. Finrod is setting up in Nargothrond, right? After he's set up in Nargothrond, and I know this is changing the book sequence, but bear with me. Um, if, uh, um, if he sets himself up in Nargothrond, but we want to show that Finrod, although he sets up in Nargothrond, is not an isolationist, right? Turgon is going to go isolationist in Gondolin. Finrod is secret, but not isolationist. He's going to be interacting. And so his choice to be like, hey, let's build a frontier fortress. I'm going to build Minas Tirith. This is part of Finrod's statement of being like, Nargothrond is hidden, but you know what? We're still here, right? And we're still going to help with the siege, even though we're hiding, right? Um, and so it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a major statement about Fingon's um, character and about his goals, Right, that he established in Minas Tirith, and so therefore it links it with him clearly, so it makes it significant when he dies there. And then after his death, that's when Nargothrond goes full isolationist, and they choose their healer king because they're not—they're out of the military biz, right? They're just in full hiding mode, and so they choose a healer king or a dreth, right? Kind of works together, right? Um, I, you know, just suggesting, just suggesting. Um, Okay, uh, yes. Um, okay, um, Fingolfin will need people to talk to. So having Irame's daughter around, sure, sure. There are a bunch of characters who are. Okay, I'm going to make a hierarchy of characters here. <laughs> hierarchy of characters. At the bottom, we have extras, right? People whose names we don't know, who are just like random elves killed in the kinslaying in order to be corpses, right? Uh, you know, because we need a bunch of corpses strewn around if we're going to have a kinslaying, 
right? Um, elves, in order to like swell armies, because it's going to look stupid to have only a handful of elves marching. We need a bunch of elves. So we're going to have a bunch of extras, right? So those who are like completely non-characters, and they can still have an impact, right? Like how like the gender balance of those, for instance, is one of the things that's going to have an impact on the impression that the whole thing makes. So it's not that those characters are insignificant, but those are those are in general unimportant. Individually, they're all unimportant characters. And again, my objection is that their death doesn't mean, doesn't convey much loss, right? Okay, so we've got the extras class. Um, above the extras class, we have the class of minor characters who don't have major jobs and don't appear in very many episodes, right? They can still have personalities. They can still do things. They can still be people, right? We can, it's fine. Again, we have to be careful about how much screen time we can afford to give all of them because there's dozens and dozens of people like that. Um, but, but they're people, right? And we can make people of them And the majority of the people that we have killed off, be they male or female are in that category. Um, because those are the kinds of characters to kill off uh, the, the class above them, which are the major characters who have important jobs and are, 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 are dominant figures in the story, play dominant roles in the plot. Um, it's harder to kill those off without making big, big changes to the story, right? To Tolkien's story. There's the character in between the bottom two. There's a third layer, right? So you've got the major characters, you've got the minor characters, you've got the extras in between minors and extras. There's this other class of characters, which I don't know what to call them. Um, and those are characters that are on screen a lot, but we don't really know them, right? Um, like the people who are, all, who, are, who, who, who are often with our primary characters, um, whom, whom we may never meet, whose names may never get mentioned, um, who may never even have a line or more than one or two lines, right? Yeah, repeat background faces, Ellen, exactly. Um, repeat background faces. Repeat background faces. So, right, so having Fingolfin, if Fingolfin's herald were female, right, member of his family or not, right, if she, that would be fine. No problem with whenever we see Fingolfin in battle or we see Fingolfin, uh, you know, in his war councils or something, there is always, you know, this woman who is with him and she doesn't have to, we do, you know, do we have a name for her? Is she going to, are we going to develop her backstory? Are we going to, um, is she going to get a lot of lines? We might not have a lot of lines for her. Right. Um, uh, Kyrdan sailors, uh, Marie. Yeah. There are going to be, uh, Kyrdan the shipwright. We were talking about people. So, you know, we're kind of, we have a couple people sort of hovering between the minor character line and the repeat background faces, uh, level, right. Uh, people like Galdor. Um, who is going to get lines in the Council of Elrond, but might not do very much of significance prior to that, right? Um, uh, yeah, so, um, um, yeah, David, that's an interesting example. David points to the character of Gothmog, the Orc General, in the Return of the King film. Um, we don't really know anything about him, but he's a very recognizable face. Um, and uh, I think actually he's big enough to be, I would call him a minor character, even though we don't know his backstory. Um, he's not a very well-rounded, humanized minor character, but he's in it enough, I would say, he's more than a repeat background face. Um, uh, I mean, heck, like the other eight Nazgul are kind of repeat background faces <laughs> in uh, uh, in. In, in Peter Jackson's films, I mean, they needn't be in ours, as we talked about last time. 
You also missed that, Dave. We totally talked about potential backstories for the Nazgul last week. Oh, oh man. Oh, yeah. We, we were totally working that out. Um, exactly, Ellen. Not visible background faces, but background, but repeated background, <laughs> invisible background Repeat faces. Invisible That's background. That's a totally legitimate subcategory of that, of that, of that class. Um, repeat invisible presence. <laughs> repeat, presence. Repeated invisible face. Right, right. He's got a nose. It's an how, invisible nose. How did you? Is, yeah. How did you end up on the 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 Nazgul in the middle of um, uh, the first age? Oh yeah, uh, we went to t- because we we're talking about the like the human like the result of the human cultures and the corruption. We, we were talking about fo- the fall of man, and then what like where that uh, happens and the, the cultural oh, consequences of that, and then how some of the descendants of some of the people are going to be Nazgul eventually. So that's see it. our our digressions on the on the Silmarillion film project are always meaningful. Always yeah. meaningful, and they're going to pay off in spades. Maybe not for ten or fifteen years, but they're going to pay off. Uh, when we get back around to that. Yeah. Um, but we remember that we had this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So I think, I, I think we've, so, you know, there, there's a lot of things that we can do in some of those, I think. So some of these things, some of these different societal roles, some of these different people, we can, they may not appear on screen. Uh, and again, I think this is another thing I want to come back to. I think that um, some of you and Ellen, I think in particular, were feeling like I was being resistant to like ascribing any of these roles or developing any of these roles or ideas, you know, for women or, or for the female characters that we kill off. Not at all. My point is just I don't know that we're going to have screen time or enough lines for everybody to give everybody a full story. And, and it's so some of the women that we kill off might be repeat background faces. None of them are going to be extras. If they were extras, they wouldn't do the job that, that I want them to do in the story, right? We wouldn't weep for them. I want us to weep for them. That's a big deal, weeping for them, right? Um, they need to at least be repeat background faces. Uh, and uh, and if not, they can be minor characters. And, um, and, uh, and, and what's more, there's absolutely... We, not only is there no reason that we shouldn't, there's every reason that we should ourselves work out the background like by all means let's think through what roles all of these people have and where they are so that we can figure out where to place them and how to introduce them whether it be as a repeat background face or as a minor character um uh but um but anyway yeah absolutely we can we can and 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 there's and i have no absolutely no uh objection to giving them roles so long as there are enough roles to go around. I'm just, I, I, I think that it's easy at this stage to be like, let's, um, let's make them all, them all characters. In. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's include everybody. Let's give everybody a well-rounded story. We don't have as that many minutes. And I think that's a good thing. I think we need to abide by that restriction because it's healthy and, and fun. I think, um, uh, so, so yeah, it, again, if it works, awesome. I am 100% for it, and I think it's a huge enrichment of the story. I absolutely love doing it. Um, I, uh, in fact, part of what I object to so strenuously is the idea that I'm resistant to that. I'm not resistant to that. Um, I'm just trying to be the voice of caution and prudence, because I'm all about caution, prudence, and sticking to limits. That's like my thing all the time. Uh, uh, so, right, Trish? I mean, come on, is that not my middle name? 
Oh, limits is your middle name, that's for sure. <laughs> limits, discipline, and Absolutely. you know, prudence. That's it. That's it. I mean, if if there's if there's one thing I'm not known for, it's biting off more than I can chew. Anybody or... in the exploring Lord of the Rings class could tell you that. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, okay, now. Uh, Let's not forget about Luthien. Um, suggestion from Eliza on the discussion boards. Maybe she could be present at a gathering where two characters or factions start arguing. It gets heated. She starts singing to calm them down. I can imagine her being subtle about it, like she's just doing a performance for entertainment's sake. Um, but she puts enough calming vibes in it that makes a noticeable difference. Eliza, I think it's a cool idea. I'd like to expand that, actually. The Marathatter thought, Right. So the Marathatter thought, uh, which is, a, a, just to remind everybody, that's the gathering when everyone is, it's like the feast of like mostly reconciliation, right? When uh, everybody mostly is like at least trying to pretend that everybody's friends now. Um, there is a huge chance, <laughs> there's a huge chance that that could go very badly, right? I mean, um, the difference, <laughs> the difference between... Hey, everything's forgiven and we're all friends now. And kinslaying part deux, right? Like it's not a huge, like it could go either way. Like it would be super easy for things to get out of hand, especially, you know, when you invite Caranthir. So, um, um, I, I, um, um, I think that, um, what would be really good is for us to have, there should be tension, a good deal of tension at the Marathatter thought. There are going to be some people who are not down with the reconciliation idea on either side. Some who are distrustful of the Nold, some Tindar who are distrustful of the Noldor, some Noldor who look down on the Sindar, right? Um, not going to mention any names. Um, so, yeah. Uh, having Luthien play a role there, basically, where, like, there's a moment where it looks like things might go sideways at the Marathatterthad, right? And Luthien intervenes... And and sings and dances and peace is established and everything is okay. I like that. I think that would be a a very public role, so that everybody sees her, everybody knows who she is. And now I know Ellen that she didn't go to the Marathatterthad in the published Silmarillion. Um, uh, uh, I know she doesn't, but I think. It's, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not insisting on it. I'm just suggesting it as an idea because I think it's one way to introduce Luthien to everybody. And it's true that... Here's the other thing. I don't want to make Thingol... I want to be careful with Thingol. Um, we don't want to make Thingol from the very beginning one of those fathers in medieval romances who puts his daughter up in the top of a tower, Right? Um, in order to ensure that some courtly lover is going to come and woo her down the road, which is what always happens in medieval romances when fathers lock their daughters in towers. Um, you might as well put up a neon sign if you do that, apparently, in medieval romances. But um, I, I, don't want, I don't want to push Thingle into that role. I don't want his fall to be that quickly. I don't want to be that sketchy that quickly. Um, yeah, he's going to be protective of her, um uh yes he's gonna 
want to, I mean, he's not going to be comfortable with men. And so Baron coming is going to be a really big deal. Um, but we can make his protection of her against Baron a step forward for him, both a change in the circumstances, right? Because again, we're talking about this like skanky human guy instead of just like elves of uncertain provenance and also a step down in him from the earlier days, right? Because we're talking about two seasons from now, right? When that happens. Um, so, uh, so that's why I would want to be careful about um, making um, Thingol too much of an overprotective dad from day one. So I would rather have him let her go in that way. Um, uh, yeah, and no, I get it. You know, Ellen, I can definitely see the impulse to um, uh, <clears throat> to to kind of laugh at Thingol. Uh, I get that. You know, I, 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 you seem to th- feel about Thingol in some of the ways like I feel about Kelleborn. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that. And I'm not above bringing some mockery into Thingol's later actions. But I just don't want to make him static. I don't want to make him a joke from the beginning in that sense. Um, he, yeah, he, uh, he seems to be he seems to be a tale of somebody kind of running afoul of of a fatal flaw later on, right? Right. right. In, in an extreme situation right, where he's got possession of a Silmaril and that kind of stuff. But like early Thingol, I, I, like I was thinking about this, you know, uh, a superficial read. He does look kind of like a classic kind of overbearing father. Right. He does lock right. But right. That's certainly but his even role so, in the Baron and Luthien story. Definitely. Yeah. But like his broader role in the Silmarillion, like he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. And he yeah. gets a lot right. Yeah. Yeah, he does. For a while. For a long time. For a long time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I agree. I do think that he is... And, and the problem is he is the king of all of the Sindar. So if we lower him, we're already going to be again fighting against that higher class elves, lower class elves thing. We don't want the Sindar to look like the peasantry of the elves and the Noldor to look like aristocrats. Already visually, they're going to because the Noldor are going to be swanky and polished and, and uh, pimped out much more so than the, uh, than the Sindar. So there's already going to be a temptation to see the Noldor as upper class in a crude human sense. Um, and we want to be careful about that. Though they are, the Calaquendi, Moraquendi difference is a real one, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to, 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 to deny that at all. Um, but again, we we want to be careful about that. And if we make their leader too, I don't know, low, I guess, right? Um, if we if we make him kind of a joke from the beginning or weak from the beginning, it places all of the Sindar in a potentially compromised sort of position. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know, Karina, he's going to escalate to the locking into the tower. That's totally going to happen. I'm not opposed to it. I, I, I just want him to start there. That's all. I just want him to start there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Ellen, I wouldn't object to that. I wouldn't object to his initial impulse being worried about having Luthien go and have Melian talk him into it. So we see some like reluctance, but it's reluctance that's overcome. Right. So we can see like the shadow of overprotectiveness to come. 
I wouldn't have any objection to that. Um, I just wouldn't want him to be like, no, like, go to your room, Luthien, you know, from, from the very beginning. Right. That should um, be the, the locking in the tower should be a step in a direction as opposed to a part of a consistent pattern. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, like we shouldn't be shocked by it. We right. should, we should, we should foreshadow it. We shouldn't mm-hmm. be shocked that he does it or yeah. like, we can show the but we should be, but we should be disappointed that he's gone that far. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Um, now here's the thing that I also like about the Merith Adderthad idea. Um, Sauron and Thorin Gwethel are there. Ellen, as you were just pointing out, uh, uh, Mike, uh, Amy's Revenge there at the bottom says, I'd like to invent a Sauron scheme in Beleriand to cause trouble and have Luthien overturn it while he's away. It's too soon for them to directly meet. There we go, right? Remember, the Merith Adarthad is going to be one of the centerpieces or uh, sort of starting points. Well, again, sequencing is what we're doing later. Um, it's going to be one of the important moments in the Sauron catch and release program, right? Um, so Sauron's Sauron and Thorin Gwethil's insidious gaining of information and subverting the elves and the relationship between the Noldor and the Sindar, that's going to be a feature one way, or an another, one way and another at the Merith Adathad, right? Um, so what if plan A, right, Sauron's plan A is to be like, he's like, hey, how about we go for broke Thorin Gwethil? Right. Let's try to turn the Marath Adderthot into a bloodbath. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome if we get Kinslaying Part 2 right here and now? Right. I mean, come on. That would be a coup, wouldn't it? So what if that's plan A? So what if we show them in disguised form, right, sort of manipulating, uh, conversa- arranging meetings between, you know, like the, they're like mingling and, and comparing notes and being like, oh, we've got to get Karinthir and Angrod together. Right. Absolutely. Let's let's uh, let's give them a few more drinks and then put them in conversation and see what happens. Right. So we, we can show them kind of manipulating things and working so that she is and they're and it's not just social manipulation. Their power is at work here, too, in influencing and even. Well, let's stick with influencing the wills of the elves involved. Right. Um, and then Luthien undoes it. Right, she doesn't undone everything. She doesn't undo everything they they do, but she uh, stymies that one particular maneuver. Right, which of course is one of the things that's going to lead them back to go to Plan B, which is rather than foment an immediate another uh, 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 kinslaying, will instead go back to the spying and opening the back door for the at the Dagor Aglareb uh, plan. Um, but that way we can set up the um, uh, that way we can set up the um, uh, the 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 we we can foreshadow the Luthien Sauron conflict or at least show I mean it would be wouldn't it be fun come on wouldn't it be fun? and not just fun but useful right to have Sauron being like oh man that Luthien chick is trouble right like i'm gonna like you know i'll get back at her if it's the last thing i ever do right i mean wouldn't it be kind of fun to have a little bit of an element of that so that um when luthien shows up right at tolling gaurhoff 
Sauron is like, oh, no, you didn't. Right? Like, that is it. I am throwing down with this girl right now. Right? Um, which leads him to his rash decision to take on Wolf Sauron form and, and go, you know, to try to attack her. You know, I, I, I think... Um, I think I think this could work, um, and uh, yeah, I, so I I I think we can combine those two things very well there, um, uh, and I think this also fits the uh, the the you know the while Luthien shouldn't be insignificant, we don't want to give away her later exploits by involving her in adventures too directly you know too early. Agreed. We don't want to have her roaming around. We don't want her have we don't want to have her like uncover and thwart a major continental plot. But again, if she happens to be there and, you know, is instrumental in thwarting a plot, she doesn't even have to know that it's a plot of Sauron. Exactly. Right. Um, she just sees the trouble brewing and takes steps to, uh, to, to circumvent it. Right. So, um, I think that that, that that can work. And so, um, uh, Can we please send Karanthir to the Marathotarthan? Please. I want some... I, we need troublemakers. We need tension and troublemakers at the Marathotarthan. We totally do. Like, that has to happen. Uh, and uh, I, I'd really like Karanthir to be there grumpily. Why not? Why can't we have Karanthir there? Is there a good reason yes. for him not to come? Um, I mean, it's true that it makes an even stronger statement for him to be like, no, I refuse to attend. But, um, ooh, Marie suggests that Mithros told Karanthir to stay home and he shows up anyway. <laughs> right. I could, I could, right. Yeah, exactly. He's the super embarrassing brother who shows up drunk at the Marathotarthed. Um, um, I like it. I like it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. We can work that out when we when we look at the the plottings and maybe I you know I know you know you guys have said that I'm I'm beating up on Karanthir too much and I don't want to make him you know my stooge all the time you know <laughs> Think, Thingle we want to maintain his dignity Karanthir Karanthir has no dignity yeah exactly so I you know I want to be careful I'm I, you know when we look at the big picture I don't want to go to the Karanthir well too many times so you know again I'm trying to be open minded about that I'm just saying there need to be troublemakers and he suggests himself as he always does to me when I want uh, you know a guy with a bad attitude um so um anyway okay all right um anyway we can um, we can we can we can we can work that out last important question um luthien's relationship with galadriel that's a really cool question um and a really subtle question because we get almost no direct connections uh the only direct connection we get between galadriel and luthien I mean, direct, like indication of like some kind of interaction, not not like they were both in Doriath and so they must have known each other. Um, but um, d the, the most direct connection between Galadriel and Luthien is that Galadriel's granddaughter is the spitting image of Luthien, right? Uh, so um, they have to have known each other, and this is a it's it's too big to ignore. You know, we can't. Um, 
both of them are far too important characters to be living in the same place for a long time without our giving any indication of their um, uh, the uh, uh, their interactions. Besides, think of all the the Bechtel test possibilities we're missing out on if we don't have conversations between Luthien and Goadriel. Um, uh, okay, Ellen says the suggestion was that Goadriel recognizes Luthien has power and tells her she could be a great ruler. Right, so Goadriel and Luthien would be very different in that way. Goadriel, we know, has this kind of yearning for power. Right? And Luthien would not. I agree. I think that Luthien should absolutely not be there at all. Um, so showing a contrast there. So using Luthien, therefore, as a contrast to emphasize the potential sketchiness of Galadriel. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Galadriel, of course, would point to Luthien's mom. Right? And be like, your mom's a good ruler, right? Uh, I mean, your dad's ruling, obviously. Everybody knows your dad's really in charge and stuff. But, you know, like, you know, your mom is doing her thing and she's doing her thing well. And that seems like a good thing to emulate, right? And, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm saying Goadriel obviously can make an argument. And, and clearly we don't make Goadriel look too bad. Um, you think Goadriel would have mom envy? Gee, I wish she was my mom. <laughs> yeah, I wish she was. You know? Uh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky that you're descended from a goddess like that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, as Ms. Marie reminds us, Galadriel's mom just died, so that's going to be a little hard. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Karina <laughs> Karina wants him to have a hair conversation <laughs> uh, yeah yeah that's good that's good um <laughs> Luthien's yeah when they're like what do you do with your hair clippings right and Luthien's like I prefer cloaks and and uh uh Galadriel's like, I'm thinking ropes, actually. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that's a conversation we need. But, um, uh, but yeah, Nick, I... Put on I, display I, in a little, in a nice little ornate uh, container. Display pieces, yes. I prefer my hair clippings to be displayed for all posterity. That's really, that's really the ultimate, uh, the ultimate purpose there. Um Nick, but, well, Nick, and this is after this is after Fanor's asked her. For, yeah, exactly. Her, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, hey, <laughs> would it be too much for like Kurafin to be really interested in Luthien's hair, <laughs> right? Um, like the hair of shadow. Oh, there you go. Like, I could do so much with this. <laughs> Holy cow! Right. You know, and he could be like, hey, Luthien, that was a great dance and everything. Thanks for what you did there. Could I, uh, would it be weird if um, I, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a motif then. Maybe if we do it often enough, it will be less creepy each time, you think? Maybe, probably not. But anyway. And then Gimli's uh, request becomes like, well, be, see what after. Yeah, right now. exactly. Right. Then it's we, a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing then at that point. Yeah. Um, uh yeah. Okay. So uh, <laughs> anyway, um, 
Uh, but Nick's made a super important point in the middle of that, that Galadriel would, it would be very natural for Galadriel to be taking Melian as a, like a surrogate mother in after the death of her own mother, right? Yeah, and that's so, kind of what, that was the spirit of what I was kind of talking about, exactly. actually. Exactly, and, yeah. and with, so... One way to go, then, I mean, it would be easy. It seem, it feels to me psychologically easy, at least on Galadriel's side, to have there be like a sort of pseudo-sibling rivalry between Luthien and Galadriel, right? I mean, like, how many alpha females can you have in one forest, right? Um, uh, especially with the, like, your mom is kind of my mom, but she's really your mom, and now she's my surrogate mom, and now you're kind of my surrogate sister, and... Now we're sisters, right? So anyway, it's it's. I could totally see Glordrill. I'll be Glordrill. Gladriel doing that. Right, right, <laughs> Sorry. Right. Um, not so much that Luthien would necessarily buy into that, but Gladriel certainly will, given her wanting to rule a realm, and you know she just kind of has that attitude where she would set herself up kind of in competition with Luthien. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, there could be maybe a little bit of an edge on that. With but see, the thing is, is that Luthien has to be the kind of character that. Like, you can't really keep... Like, nobody can hold a grudge against Luthien. Like, if you can hold a grudge against Luthien, like, that's pretty much the litmus test that you're a horrible person, right? Like, Luthien has to be the kind of person that, like, nobody can hate. Right? Because yes. she's totally... Karina came up with their celebrity name, Gluthien. <laughs> Gluthien. <Sorry>. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Ellen, you're right. No, that's true, and I think that's probably that could be part of Galadriel's growth. Actually, is maybe she? It's like what you know, what's that Zen thing about? You don't resist. It's just you know, like Galadriel's the one like getting herself all worked up, and Luthien's not, and Galadriel kind of grows in the experience. I don't know. I mean, that's a lot. Because I mean, one of the things, and this is a thing that I've been talking about for a while. Proud people. There's if someone has, you you can tell if somebody has a problem with like this is a self diagnosis you can do right. Do arrogant people really get your goat? Do you really hate somebody being arrogant and prideful and drawing attention to themselves? If so, you are almost certainly a proud and arrogant person. Like that's how it works. That is true. On pretty much a hundred percent of the time, you know who is not bothered and who is sometimes just sort of amused or pitying of arrogant, stuck-up, proud people? Humble people, right? Again, almost a hundred percent of the time. So, pride is one of Goadriel's problems, right? She has a, a core pride issue. Um, she wants her own power. She wants to establish dominion. She does care what other people think about her and about her own status. Luthien doesn't. Luthien is completely humble. So there is no, um, there is no mutual rivalry between them. But I, I think Galadriel's going to feel twitches, right? She's going to feel it to some extent. And so, so I, I do think if, if there's a way that we can show that, Trish, exactly what you're suggesting, her kind of having some kind of issues, her, you know, because Luthien... I mean, Luthien is greater than she is. Luthien is better than Galadriel. Luthien is right. is, is is a more powerful singer. She's more beautiful. She's like she is higher than Galadriel is, but she's more humble than Galadriel is. Yeah. Luthien does, and because again, really humble people are super hard to hate. Um, uh, and and so yeah, so you you. Um, I think we're working that dynamic in 
and um, that can be part of the thing that we um, that we work into both the initial story with her and Celeborn and the whole her working through her issues and his being her confidant um, uh, story that we were building there um, we can kind of work in maybe some sort of Luthien issues some, some envy issues because um, it's, it's also part of her processing her grief for her mother which is also one of the things that Celeborn is helping her process too um, so yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Kelborn is trustworthy. Um, did I misspeak just now? Did I say the wrong name? Kelborn uh, is being Goadriel's confidant. Did I say that wrong? I didn't say that wrong, did I? Um, just want to make sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, um, okay, good. Um, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Ellen, it points out that uh, a Go- you know, Goadriel is basically failing to learn what Melian is trying to teach her. Um, she learns good things about being a good leader, but she doesn't learn Humility, which is one of the other things that that Melian is trying to teach her, because Melian is humble. Melian doesn't draw attention to herself. Melian, she's all that, but she does not go out of her way to draw attention to her how she's being, how she's all that. She doesn't. She never tries to establish a realm of her own, right? She and Thingol set up shop, and he's the king of the the Sindar, right? Um, absolutely. Um, okay, cool, cool. That seems to work. Um, Excellent. Hey, we did it. We stayed a little bit later because I uh, my Griffith stream is canceled, but that's okay. So, hey, look, Marie, for the first time in how many weeks we've gotten to the questions for next time slide. So, first of all, uh, the the session, the next session is going to be delayed by a little bit because two weeks from today is the 22nd of March, which is the day before Sunshine Moot, and I will already be in Florida on that day. So, I won't be able to do some film on the 22nd. Uh, so, we're going to push it forward to Friday the 29th, if that's okay. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back the week after that on the 5th of April, and then we'll be back to our two-week schedule, which should be able to... Actually, which from then will cunningly weave its way between moots uh, and other travel of mine for a while uh, until May, actually. Um, so, um, okay. So, what we're going to do next time is we're going to make an episode outline. Now, we're not going to outline everything. Like, we're going to do that in multiple uh, sessions moving forward. What we want to be able to have is a general outline for how the sequence is going to run, okay? Um, So that we know what stuff to talk about in each episode. Um, It is the overall shape, so we're going to be starting um, uh, we're we're going to be starting to think of the um, uh, we're we're going to be starting to think about the um, uh, the the you know, the individual storylines and how they all fit together, but we're not going to work out all those details yet. There, there will likely be changes that we're going to make. What we're going to do is we're going to st- we're going to think this through enough so that in the in the episode after we can begin working through episode by episode and refining the more detailed outlines uh, as we go. 
Okay. Um, Sounds great. Excellent. Um, cool. Cool. That should um, on, that'll probably only take us uh, two months. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Well, the plan, the original plan, which I think we can stick to after, because we think of all the digressions we've already accomplished. Think of all of the, you know, the issues that we've already handled, um, uh, which normally distract us as we're going through episode by episode. Right. True. Um, so having already worked through all that, the work that we have left to do is much less than it usually is when we start our episode by episode thing. So this is why our aspiration was to do two episodes per session once we get there, um, because it's just hammering out the details of how all these things fit together. Um, and not even all of the details. I mean, there's going to be a bunch of work still left for the script outline team to do as they actually try to make it into workable scenes and dialogue and that kind of thing um, that will flow from one thing to another. Um, just trying to make sure to hammer out the sequence and make sure that we, you know, we're essentially emerging from the process that we've just finished with a really long list, both of particular scenes, particular things that need to happen, particular stuff we want to get at, uh, and uh, and see occur. Our next st- our, our our very next stage is to do a crude uh, outline, right? You know, a, a general shape for the season. Now, having established all those things, uh, episodes one through thirteen. A step after that is to then cross like check off everything on that list, right? Make sure that we figure out ways to include all of those things within which episodes as we build and, and have the story make sense as we move through episode one through 13. And then, um, this, then the next stage of course will be, uh, the script outline team who can, uh, uh, refine that more and really, uh, develop those stories a little bit more fully and work things out. So, all right, that's the plan. Um, and we'll see. And yeah, Ellen, it is sure possible that we won't get through the episode outline next uh, time. Who knows? Never. Um, yeah. And cool. Oh, yeah. So, um, uh, oh, yeah. Hmm. Druid's Fires reminded me of a possible conflict on the 29th, which I had forgotten about. So stay tuned. You will be informed about the next meeting. All well, I wait a second. Yeah. It's two weeks. It's the 22nd. I know. And that's what I definitely have a conflict with. I am 100% certain that there's a conflict on the 22nd. I am now wondering whether there might be a conflict on the 29th as well. But let's stick with the 29th for now. I I have a high likelihood of a conflict on the 29th as well. Yeah. Well... But maybe there's we'll, a chance we'll, we'll we figure it have out. to we'll shift it, it forward to the 15th instead to do it next week instead of doing it three weeks from now. But we'll figure that out sooner rather than later and let you guys know. And I will if you're registered for the for the for the webinar, I will post that um, and uh, they'll send an email to you guys with the update on that. And uh, if you are watching us on Twitch, um, stay tuned and we'll try to we'll try to uh, to to have it posted where you can um, can access it there, too. So anyway, um, we will. Um, we'll be uh, uh, we'll be. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be ready for next time. Um, uh Oh, it looks like people are in go to webinar are not hearing me anymore. But anyway. I will continue to say... But we can still see him. You can still see me? All right, here we are. There it is. Man. You went away again. I got issues with my (laughs) ISP. Uh, But anyway, okay. So, 
thank you very much for your extended patience today uh, with our session. Um, and we'll keep you guys posted about the time for next time. Thanks, everybody. And I look forward to seeing you at our next session, whensoever that might fall. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.